Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I am Ben Hansen, joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hey, it's me. I'm here. And we got Serial Vasquez here. Oh, here also present. Mm-hmm. And then Janet Garcia. Hello. Welcome, Janet. Um, Janet and I just got done recording Kind of Funny Games Daily. Uh, and Janet was the host and knocked it out of the park. It was oh, thanks. just a delight. Um, how nervous were you, scale of 1 to 10? Because you came across as perfectly cool. Um, probably a six or okay. a seven. Okay. Uh, it I'm really trying through. to like work on not being nervous because like it's really not that deep. <laughs> but like I never come off nervous, which is a great skill to have. But I was like, I I literally had, you know, I mentioned I had those like Resident Evil nightmares. Yeah. I had a nightmare that I went through the whole show and never did the stuff that wasn't just the news. Mm. Like I missed like the, I missed like the, like the games list, the ad. And it was like coming up on the one hour mark. And then I just started reading as fast in my dream, just as fast as I could <laughs> <laughs> everything else. And I'm like, and I was thinking in the dream, I'm like, why didn't any of the producer, why did, why did the producer not tell me anything? Then I woke up and I'm like, oh no, the worst thing happened in my dream. And also it's not real. And also it was also fine for some reason. So yeah. this isn't that deep. Everything will be fine. So the nightmare helped kind of level it all out, but it was fun. It was super fun. Uh, you did a great yeah, job. You can honesty. check that out over on kind of funny's uh, YouTube channel or in the podcast feed. Um, this is a big show. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up. First of all, let's get right to it. Let's officially announce the next deepest dive. No one saw this one coming. Surreal, give me that juicy drum roll, baby. Uh, I, oh, wait, I was, were you going to say a drum roll? I thought I was going to, no, I thought I was going to announce it for some reason, but then I, I turned, it took me a while to process what you were saying. Uh Uh-huh. And that sound of serial speaking is our drum roll for the next deepest dive being officially Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 1, everybody. We are going to be creating the best, most thorough discussion about Mass Effect 1 on the internet with the deepest dive uh the game comes out may 14th the remaster specifically you don't have to play that you can play the old version that's totally fine but everyone's going to be talking about mass effect celebrating mass effect and we want to be a big part of that discussion we're very much looking forward to it and so the first discussion will be airing on may 19th um so we'll be looking for your comments on the first chunk of mass effect one on may 17th so if you support us at any tier on Patreon, any tier whatsoever. You can play along and submit a comment and we'll read it during our discussions. Um, it's gonna be a very fun time. So the, we're breaking it up into three sections. The first section, basically stop when you leave the Citadel. When you're leaving the Citadel, that is your time to stop and then jump over to Patreon and submit a great comment for us to read on air. Uh, we'll be announcing the panel for that uh, next week, but it's a very fun panel for the Deepest Dive. So I hope you all Enjoy it, and I hope you join us in creating the best, most thorough discussion about Mass Effect 1 on the internet. It's going to be a fun time, so let us know if you have any questions about how the Deepest Dive works, but we're looking forward to that. Also, Kyle, that's enough announcements for one show, but we say nay. We say we can do more on this episode of the Min Max Show podcast because later on in this very episode, we will be joined by a certain somebody who is the newest official voice within the Min Max family. I won't reveal who it is until they clap in, but we will have a big reveal about a new voice and a new initiative, some would say, at MinMax. So please look forward to that. Kyle, please look forward to it. I will. Okay, great. Um, Resident <laughs> Evil Village. Let's talk all about it. Um, Serial Vasquez, you reviewed it for Polygon, yes? Correct. Okay. I did. And Jenna Garcia, you are playing it. How far are you in this thing? 
I am almost at the end, I think, and hope. <laughs> because Not because I am not enjoying it, just because I'm like, I want to see the credits roll. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure. pretty close to the end. Okay. Are you getting to the point where you're running out of saves? Because that game only has 20 save slots, and I was like trying to markate like different points of oh progress. see i kind of went rogue a little bit and i am using four save slots but the bottom oh, okay. two are really old so i'm really only using the top two and the top two are identical in case one gets like corrupted or something oh, i don't okay. know that's my logic oh okay all right uh and then kylie hill you're saving oh. tied to an item no you just well you just have to find a typewriter uh, yeah, you just have to find a typewriter. Okay. You don't have to use like ink ribbons or anything like that. There That's we go. all I need to know. Thanks, uh, Kyle. Your your job is to sync up with me, just as somebody who's looking forward to this game and curious about this game. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I think one thing to kick it off with is like the best news that I've heard is the the length isn't overbearing. I hear it's a a nice compact Resident Evil, which is like the best news that I've heard. <laughs> Not Resident Evil yeah. three level compact, but how long is this yeah. thing, serial? Uh, I spent about 12 hours uh, with it, but I think it's probably closer to 10 because I had like a couple of instances where I was like, okay, I've cleared out this, I've cleared out the castle, except there are like, you know, two or three rooms that are still red. And I spent way too much time trying to find it. The one tip I will say that I don't think spoils anything is you want to look up sometimes uh, because there are, there are things you can find that are higher than you expect, let's say. And that I missed a couple of items because I just didn't grok that for a while. But yeah, um, Kyle, what is the number one thing you want to know about Resident Evil Village? Well, I mean, the base question was, you know, is it good? Should I be excited about it? Great question. Kyle. What, what, you know, yeah, it, it, should I eagerly wake up early on Friday morning and play Resident Evil Eight? You're over asking the question now, right now. But it was a good, good instinct. <laughs> no, I need Great to know if it's good. Is it good? I'd like sir? to hear more yeah. versions of this you, question. Yeah. I would like to tell, like, I don't want to tell you how to run your life, Kyle. I don't know what schedule you have. I don't know if you want to wake up and, like, neglect your daughter for this game. But uh, I will plan. tell you that this is the the top line takeaway is this is maybe my favorite Resident Evil since mm. 4. Oh, is that include amazing. the remakes? Uh, yeah. I, think wow. I, I definitely like this one more than the recent remakes, which is, like, the RE2 remake was great and the, the 3 less so. But I think that... It's maybe like the I would say that my top three are probably four, and then this is fighting with like the remake of the original. Okay, me. so reviews oh, are the original, not yeah, two. Like the RE remake. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. okay, so this is fascinating. So reviews are positive. I think you're on the higher end of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hotter than than a lot of people on this game for sure. Yeah. Um. Do you think that just comes from your level four, and this game is very much trying to have a lot of four flavor injected in here? I think so. I think that, you know, the thing that I go into in my review is that, like, this series has always been, like, you know, it started off as a horror thing and then slowly became more action-oriented. And I think a lot of people are kind of right, rightly miffed by that because that felt like, you know, uh, they're kind of adding action at the cost of horror. Um, and this is definitely, like, more action-based than, like, 7 was because 7 was definitely, like, a much slower game. And this definitely adds more action. But I like, yeah, I'm someone who really loves four. So this is exactly kind of up my alley. But I, I do want to say that it feels more horror based than four. I, I think this is more oh, really? of a horror game than four is for sure. Okay. Yeah. And I think reading that the first person perspective helps a lot. Okay. Reading the headlines and the reviews, it seems like it's, it had a lot more six DNA in it than I was expecting just from reviews. 
Yeah, and I think that's that that to me is maybe the the game's biggest triumph is that it does both of those extremes really well. Like there's yeah. one there's a boss fight towards the end that is just like the most ridiculous thing I've maybe done in a Resident Evil game and it wow. just feels like what the hell are what is going on and what am I doing? But there're also so many moments of just like that low-key kind of like creeping horror that, you know, that that made the series what it is. So it's like the fact that both of those can exist in in harmony in a way without like feeling like this is ridiculous like this is this is out of tone for this series or this game i feel like is the thing that this game does so well horror i think one thing that helps with that like especially in like that kind of middle section uh presumably middle because i don't think i haven't gotten to the the very end is um i'm I'm a bit colder on the game than uh you are i'm someone that came in at seven and then i did two remake and those are my only resident evil games that i fully played i spent like an hour or so with four and as a kid i was like adjacent to the remake i'm like oh i see this is happening but like it's too scary for me so i didn't want to do it um, so I have a very different perspective, like as where my Resident Evil fandom comes from and what I like about it. Um, I think one thing that helps balance the action, and the horror is it, it is way more action oriented. Um, you know, I was surprised when I was like, I should use these bullets because they, they kind of want me to, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, definitely incentives for like different types of runs as usual with like trophies and things, but like it's, it, it took some getting used to that. I could like use bullets and that it made sense to like hey maybe i can craft handgun ammunition and that's not a total waste because i don't need to make like a bunch of necessarily like really powerful weaponry later um i also found it like a little bit on you know a couple different reviews have talked about like the boss battles being a little underwhelming and i i would have to agree with that like i like that from this perspective of i'm not good at shooting so i'm like i don't really want to be challenged anyway but i was a little taken aback because i felt fairly challenged. I played on standard difficulty when I did 7 and when I did RE2 Remake, and they felt a lot more grandiose. Uh, I remember doing a few battles where I'm like, I guess this counts as a boss, or I guess this mm. is... I mean, sometimes it's very clear because of who it is, but like, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess this was like something. And I, the first few big encounters you have, I remember kind of being like, oh, that's it? Right. This, was, this wasn't too hard. And I, I was a little taken aback by that, but I think it does a, a decent job at balancing out um, the action with some horror because just while I was getting kind of comfortable with like, okay, I see what this game is. It's hitting a lot of uh, formulaic elements of Resident Evil, which I do love. You know, I love how they structure their puzzles. I like walking around with houses, opening drawers. But then there's a, a point where something really did horrify me and I'm like, okay, this game knew that I was like, it's not even that scary. It's not that special. It's not that memorable. And then it kind of hit me with something that I was like, all right, this game has some hands. So I do think there's some there's some really bright spots, even if you're a little bit uh, colder on it, like you will find some some things to really be like impressed by. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think those boss fights are like uh, they're maybe a little bit simpler than people might remember. But I think I'm going back through four and then seven. I like this feels totally in line with those because like those boss fights, I think maybe were scarier because they were more novel. But I think that in terms of like, oh, if you figure out like this particular thing or just like go in with the expectation that you're going to use up your like strongest ammo, like, yeah, you can tear through them pretty quickly, um, which is the case in both seven and um, uh, four. But I think to, the, to speak about what you mentioned about like having to remember to use bullets, it was kind of this reminder that seven definitely had to remind you that it also you also were shooting things because like in seven, the only enemies you really fought were the mold guys right like there's maybe like some bugs that you have to knife but it's like it is those mold guys the bigger version of those mold guys and like bees like those those are the bad guys in resident <laughs> evil 7 yeah uh, the so, three horrors oh yeah. 
Uh, yeah, those were three of the three plagues, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but like this, this definitely feels more robust as an action game in that there is an upgrade system. You know, you go in and you have to upgrade your shop. Um, you are, you have to upgrade the weapons at a shop and you buy, you know, you can buy new weapons and stuff. So it has a lot of that stuff from four. Um, but yeah, like the, it, it feels really well paced in that it will do things like what Janet said, which is like, here's a horror thing that you just weren't expecting right after a boss fight that you like, after you beat a boss, you're like, okay, I'm on top of the world. I killed yeah. this thing. And so you don't expect to be scared because you feel so empowered. And that the game is really good about surprising you, uh, basically throughout the entire runtime. That's interesting. I have, uh, a, I have a question about the, the story. Yeah. I have always found Resident Evil's story to be uh, very stupid, but mm-hmm. like undeniably engaging. Do you think it hits that sort of uh, complimentary way of talking about the story? I mean, uh, I mean, insofar as it makes like for some interesting moments, I think it does accomplish that. But I think the overall arc is like not great because I, I think Ethan Winters' story, I just don't find super compelling. I don't think he's like a great protagonist and they definitely lean into like, you know, like what the trailer does is like oh, everyone says his name, right? As if it's some some big and as, as, as if he's like some important character. Right. And I don't think this game really does right by that idea and i never even by the end got the idea that like yeah i I really like ethan winters he's such a compelling character i don't think it ever like even like you know chris riffle is not like one of the best written characters in in fiction but it's like you he (laughs) he kind of endears himself like most of these protagonists endear themselves um but i don't think it's always like leon is he's just he's a nothing but like i like him you know like that's just that's always how i feel about resident evil is like this is stupid it basically doesn't make sense but damn it, I want to see what happens next. I think what's <laughs> yeah. you know? interesting about RE2 is like, the pl- like I think the plot so far of, of this game is, I'm more interested in it than I was of 7, I think because mm. like, oh, and it does, uh, it is a thing I love where when you start it up, it's like, would you like to know what happened in 7? If you didn't play it, you yes. should click right. it. And I did play 7, but yeah. I'm like, let's hear the story again because I don't really remember the details. Um, let's hear what you think I, happened. Yes, what did you... <laughs> It's like, I know, but just for everyone else in my living room, you know, it's like, it's not for me. It was for me. But I I love that because it was a nice refresher. And um, I think the thing that's strong about this story is you have questions that, at least to some degree, slowly get answered. Um, And I enjoy that part because I think that's the extent to which Resident Evil stories can engage me of like, I wonder what's going on here. What's happening with this character? Why am I really in this village? What's happened with the village? And like... Throughout my playthrough, I feel like I had updates on the story, like versus like I think um, sometimes Resident Evil can fall into a thing of, hey, it's just a, um, you know, it's just something scary is happening. It's probably some virus or some disease, which is still like true to an extent. Right. It's always kind of the same reasoning, but it has more layers in terms of the characters involved and what their intentions are. And it made me curious about different characters and what their roles were. I think as far as stupidity, for me, the dumbest elements of the story are I guess just how like powerful Ethan is because he can like live all the stuff. That's a little silly. And then right. the, the the individual dialogue lines are very cheesy because like, it'll even be stuff like after a boss battle, you know, he'll be like, you know, without me actually swearing, he'd be like, you're damn right. You know, it's just like stuff like that really just right. makes it feel like it's heavy handed and a little schlocky, not a bad thing, but you know, as soon as it, there's a really interesting plot point, And then at one point someone just goes, yeah, 
you're crazy, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, you didn't really have a good story to tell here, huh? You didn't, I thought you were going to take me on this journey and you were just like, stuff's wild, man. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, There's, there's definitely like at the end, there's some interesting tidbits about like, okay, this, you know, here's what has been going on, you know, the entire time. And then like at the end, there's a really, it has a post credits stinger that I think is really strong. That like leaves me pretty curious about where the series as a whole is going. That's interesting. Um, uh, what about the the number one number one headline for Resident Evil Village? Without spoiling anything, does Big Lady D? Uh, I was gonna say satisfy, but you can't say anything without it just sounding weird and <laughs> yeah, fetishistic. I, I, Is she cool? I think- I, I don't I think she's a little disappointing in that regard because like I think there are people who are going to come into this game having not seen much of it and said like oh yeah this is the Lady Dimitrescu uh, game right like she's I, from what I've seen she's like the antagonist the protagonist the setting <laughs> the soundtrack she's everything about this game uh, she's the moment so like she is she is uh, to make another parallel to four she is like a Salazar like okay. she is, she is kind of like the boss of a domain, right? And so there are more, and she is one of those, right? So yeah. I think the fact that she is not the main antagonist, I think, is gonna maybe disappoint people. Um, and the other thing is that like she is, you know, they mentioned it uh, in one of the 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 roundups they did, is that she's basically like Mr. X, but I think that formula doesn't work as well here because she's kind of isolated and she's way more predictable. Uh, so it, by the end of it, it's like, I'm not afraid of her. I just need I just need her to get out of this doorway. So I'm going to run back to the save point, wait for her to walk the other way and then move forward. Also, so am, I, am I tripping or an RE2 remake? Wasn't this the stick that even the save rooms weren't safe? Am I making that up? I don't remember. If- I, I think uh, you can there's... peek inside. And there's definitely the possibility that like if you play it on like the highest difficulty, that some of that might change. Because this is definitely one of those games where they want you to replay it multiple times. Uh, and I haven't you know gotten up to the highest difficulty yet. But yeah, it's, it seems like the, the AI is very exploitable and kind of predictable here. Yeah, and I so think also... Kind of bummer. The design too, like, um, it's funny because like everyone comes to these games wanting different things. So it'll just depend on like what kind of stuff you experiences you want to have. I think the game itself is like well designed and I think it is at least a good game. Like at even at the most critical, I feel yeah. like even me being negative, it's still this is good, you know, which I think is something to be excited about. But yeah, as far as like the stalking element, it was very, very minimal, mm-hmm. um, which I thought it was fine, but then at the same at the same time, it's kind of like, well, why even have it in there? So it felt kind of like half baked. Um, the way the areas are designed, you can kind of. And she's very tall, right? You can see her coming from a mile away. I literally would sometimes Wait, open is that, a door. Is that why Serial is telling us to look up? Is that was that what that trip was for? <laughs> That's right, because sometimes she'll just be there. My eyes are she'll up here, so like <laughs> I'll open a door and like she's there and she's like coming after me and I'm like okay, and then I just like especially the save room one or like I there's an area that has an elevator and I'm like. Don't hang out in the elevator for a couple minutes while this podcast plays in the background until she's gone. So I I never once, you know, I don't know about your cereal, but I never got like even close to killed by her or no, I never felt yeah. in danger. I just and she also doesn't start doing that sequence until like the later end? in that area. So yeah. it's also like, by the way, like you got a stalking character and then they're like, oh, no, not really. And then they're also yeah. like, oh, you're done with the area. So it. It, I, I think I was disappointed in her appearance um, in the sense that, uh, not her actual appearance, but, you know, in the sense that, like, she doesn't play as big of a role, and she's such an interesting character that I thought, and you, I don't know, you kind of let to believe that she would play a, a bigger deal into it, yeah. But I was actually excited by the fact, with the way the game was broken out, and the game has, like, a very obvious nod to, like, 
maybe there'll be more areas like this pretty early in um, in its design, just from like sure. if you interact with all the objects. So yeah, I kind of like I like that structure. And so far, I don't really have. I've played through most of the areas and I don't really have like an area that I feel is necessarily super weak or anything by any means. Cyril, I don't know how you felt like the pacing versus something like seven too, where there is a very distinct drop off for seven at least. Yeah, that That is one of the other things that I really like about it is that, you know, as much as, you know, I, I can say that Lady D is kind of a disappointment gameplay wise, it feels fine because it is one of like several ideas and sequences and set pieces that this game is just constantly tossing off at you. I mm. Like you said, I don't think there's like a, a part of this game that I think is like bad i only think that you know the lady d stuff is maybe among the like in the lower half but that's still like fine you know because there are so many other parts that i can say like this is such a good moment and there are like so many ways that this game kind of plays with you like there are moments where you're like oh okay i guess we're doing this part again from resident evil 4 or from like 7 or from 1 and it's like oh are you guys repeating this bit and the way they they repeated is like so different from what you expected um where you'll come into a section thinking it's going to be predictable but it's like you don't know how this is going to go uh and there are also like side stuff which is weird like it 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 is there are secrets in this game that you have to go out of your way to find uh and there are just like things where it's like oh okay i know how this is going like i get this thing and it's like ooh, like you'll uncover me later and then you get the thing and it becomes such a larger part of the game that you thought it was and it's totally optional and so there, if you're not looking at your map, there's just straight up a gun that I missed. That's from what I saw, like a really good gun. Mm. Uh, and like, there are like optional bosses, which is like ridiculous. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I, I read in your review that basically it's exactly what we feared and that the merchant guy, the Duke, who's like the 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 bigger guy, that it's just yeah. a lot of him being like, nom nom, feed my tummy, a lot of that crap. Yeah. It, it is, it is, I, I mentioned, uh, I tweeted that it's like one of the most aggressively uh, bad examples of an overweight character in a video game because it's like, mm. yeah, he, he is like, oh, I, I can barely fit in the wagon that I'm uh, moving across, you know, this area in. It's like, here's a room where it's like, every, I've basically set up a table and all these things are decorated around me. That's how big I am. And like the upgrade system is you're killing farm animals and they, they'll, they'll give you like meat and they're like rare animals that you can find. And it's like, you're making food for him and then he eats the food and then his leftovers are how you get more health uh which is like and and it's like all of his lines are constantly like oh i love to eat and that's cool like it it is so frustrating (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean (laughs) i wish it was verbatim like that because that would be even like more slash funnier but yes it it basically it's like a fancy you know how like especially with the setting it's like a fanciful version of that it's that statement that cereal said but in cursive you know Mm, it's like oh a meal is one is never quite satisfied like those kind of okay yeah yeah. there's just things where it's like one of his idol animations he's just like like he'll just wake up and like (laughs) and he'll like you'll hear him like masticating and stuff it's so it's so aggressively bad but you know like he gives you the upgrades that you want so it's like you gotta you gotta talk to him and usually yeah, he I mean, means that there's small a businesses point. you know like yeah. that's what yeah, that's, it's funny because i that's right cereal how long did it take you to spend money in this game because i am an aggressive item hoarder, hoarder and i don't want to spend anything and i'm like maybe there'll be cooler stuff later plus they do give you some free upgrades too like as far as weaponry so i'm like i just didn't i wasn't selling anything i'm like i earned this random crystal skull that isn't combinable and isn't even valuable and i don't want to get rid of it so it took me a long time to like break away from that. Did you, how did you kind of approach like that upgrade system and like, would you like or not like about it? Yeah. Once I, once I saw that, like there are, the game will tell you which items are combinable. I think I definitely went a little more like 
it invested in the idea that like oh the, you know you get a thing you get like a perfect crystal skull which is like an item that drops from enemies like and that's worth like thirty thousand okay I can sell that I can safely sell that you know um, but it did definitely take a little while before it's like what should I be spending my money on because you can buy limited amounts of ammo in this game uh, which not even huh. four let you do um, but it, it but it is pretty expensive it's like a thousand you know uh, whatever the currency is lay. Uh, per like shotgun bullet so it's like not something you can just you know stock up on real quickly and you're not going to need it a, a bunch but you know there are weapon upgrades and things like that um so that stuff is, is like pretty well fleshed out to make it an action game um but yeah I, I think overall like everything about this game does work really well in tandem with e- with each other I, I just think that if you're looking for like i want a horror game where i really can't do much and like i have to run away from the monsters that's not what this game is it like it's way less than that than even seven was but mm-hmm. i like the idea that towards the end of the game there are just encounters that i had a bunch of stuff like i had mines i had you know pipe bombs i had i had a grenade launcher but there are just fights in that game that i didn't want to do because they felt like they were you you get into a situation where it's like this is completely aft i don't know what like this is just from a conceptual standpoint and from what the game is asking me to do it just feels like i don't want to do this but it's like satisfying when you actually do get to pull it off Oh, weird. So overall, this is a good job Capcom situation? Yeah, okay. for sure. Hey, good I job. I feel like it's a fine job. <laughs> okay, and a um, fine one, job Capcom. One quick thing before we move on, though, I do, because it's funny whenever there's episodes like this where it's like the embargo just lifted, no one else has gotten to play it, and it's like, I'm like, and then events transpired, and like me and Surreal know what we're talking about, yeah. but like it's very vague for everyone else. I think one concrete thing that we can just like briefly touch on um, that isn't like a spoiler at all and doesn't, you know, ruin anything for people who haven't played it, uh, I love the just overall game structure of this. Like having the village is sort of your home base that you keep going mm. to when you come back from these open areas is so satisfying as someone that loves um, the walking sim elements of Resident Evil. And yes, if you're someone that hates walking sims but loves Resident Evil, yeah, you you like you probably like walking sims because that's a lot of Resident Evil. You're just walking yep. around, finding things, you're reading notes. Like you, y'all can't tell me this is not a narrative game with guns. Like it absolutely is, and I have the lack of shooting skills to prove that it is designed <laughs> to be that way, um, which I love about it. You know, they have, they have a lot of different interesting environments, but like once the animals like kind of started appearing, and then I could do that with my upgrades. I really fell in love with that loop. I spent um, so much time just like crouched down in a lake stabbing fish, and I'm like, this might be game of the year. Not literally because I've been. I still don't think the game is like that fire, but I just had a really good time doing stuff like that, and I. I guess one thing I kind of appreciate is even though it is more action oriented and, you know, pushing you to that, like there are still different levels at which you can engage with the Resident Evil world in Village. And I really appreciate that element of it. And I like the ways that the village kind of slowly changes over time based on one, the enemies that appear in the village, like over time, you see like different ones that start appearing. And then two, um, you know, as you get different items, like a crank for the well or like a thing to open this door, like it has so many wonderful moments where things click for you. And I find that very satisfying. Like yeah. as soon as you get certain objects, you're like, this is going to go there. And then that's going to get me this weapon or this thing I can sell or whatever. And I like that it all feels very layered. And I, I am truly compelled to find like everything in here. And I get really into it, even though at this point near the end, I'm like, we're just going to leave the stuff there. Like if I didn't find it, I didn't find <laughs> it. But uh, the village structure, I think is just so good and that's the, what's one thing i'd really love to see stay um mm. i liked having that kind of home base and, and a place to get my bearings and explore and keep finding new uh loot yeah, yeah. i like that idea like instead of like kind of the, the entry uh, to the 
police station or something as like being the home base about it just yes. being like this entire village that you're branching out from. Yeah. And it's like surprising how far in advance it'll tease that stuff out. Like there are, there, are, there's a door in the demo that you don't even get to unlock until like the last couple hours of the game. It's like, that's the, cool. It's like one of the final areas. And so every time you go back to the village, like the time of day is different. There's new stuff that you can unlock. Uh, so yeah, like that, I really like that. Like, like what Janet said, it, it, like that home base structure of like, you're coming back to the village multiple times. Yeah, Resident Evil Village, everybody. Uh, you can check out Serial's review over there on Polygon, but uh, I am looking forward to it more now. Uh, so thank you for your... <laughs> thank you for informing me about this game, service. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm also like at the point where it's like, I've beaten the game, but I want to go back to it multiple times because like, it does what like, you know, even RE5 did, where it's like, okay, we're going to put you up against impossible odds on the higher difficulties, but then you can unlock like infinite ammo for the shotgun. So it's like infinite ammo for, uh, for the shotgun versus, you know, like professional difficulty. Oh, yeah. unrelated, but just in honor of this, I brought out my Resident Evil T-Virus antidote energy drink that I got from like the, cult, the pop culture museum in Seattle. I've never drank it. I don't really plan to, maybe I'll drink it on Friday when I stream the game, but mm. it's probably very disgusting. And Has I don't think it actually prevents... Is? Okay. Um, T virus. It is red. So okay. <laughs> it is red. So I'm guessing cherry. Um, God, it says copyright 2018. So I'm so afraid. Copyright. Um, PBD this on this. But I try to bring out dumb things I have that relate to what we're talking about. So we're this smart. is my dumb thing that I brought for today. We appreciate it. Um, hey, speaking of love in the loop of returning to the village, uh, Kyle, you had a, a hot tweet where uh, we talked about Returnal last week, but you were playing it. And before the discussion last week, you said, please tell me whether or not I'll like this game. And I think I said nay. And then it turns out mm. the answer is yay. You do like Returnal after all? Yeah, you were wrong. Yep, you, frequently. How, how dare you try to deter <laughs> me from spending money on a video $70. game? So. Uh, what, what do you like about um, it so much? What, what tweet are you talking about? Uh, just say I liked Returnal? Yeah, something? yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. The classic Kyle. Yeah, the other tweet. Classic, it's classic Kyle. Talking about. I won't just shut up about my kid. <laughs> And I don't like roguelikes. Like, those are yeah. my defining features, right? But um, something happened, man. Like, I, I think it's Undermine's fault. Where, like... Oh, weird. Uh, yeah, like, I'm, like, I liked Hades. I played and beat Hades, but it didn't, like, light my world on fire. But Undermine, like, I, it was weird. It totally wrapped me up, and, like, I played it and beat it. And, like, I fell in love with it. And I think that has weirdly primed me to be, like, ready to sort of appreciate the genre more and Returnal is like really clicking with me like I really like it a lot just I mean like I it's it is it's what I think we want from Metroid ultimately that we're just not getting from Nintendo which is like uh high production value with you know basically wholesale like ripping off like alien and aliens like universe yeah. I mean it just feels like that and then there's also this like sense of like item discovery and reward that I frankly don't get from Metroid style games anymore because I understand how they're structured. You know, I really love them and I play them a lot and I still get a lot of enjoyment out of them. But, but like in terms of like trying to get that original, like, Oh, I really need that thing. And then finally getting it like Returnal is really delivering that in a lot of ways. I mean, there's not that many upgrades, yeah. but like when you get like the sword, you know, like it, it just makes you feel so much more ready to take on the rest of that world, you know? And like, I, I've, I've fought the second boss a number of times. Like I've in the typical sort of, I consider myself an expert now way of a, a roguelike, you know, you have those first couple attempts where you're like, well, I'm, there's no way I'm beating this thing. But then you kind of have those like third and fourth attempts where you're like, okay, I, I can do this. I just need to try it a few more times. 
that's where I'm at with that second boss. And like, I cannot wait to get that like grappling hook. Cause it's just going to open up that first area so much in totally. so many ways. And like, yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised how much I like it. It's really clicking with me in a big way. Oh, nice. Yeah. I yeah, still, it, it I definitely seems like you'd be the one to like it the least. Cause you feel, I feel like you have yeah. the, the, the least amount of like consecutive free time out of all of us. Right. Cause it, it feels like you would be kind of, you know, wrapped up in something else and then lose a run. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that you're loving yeah. it as much as you are. You know, there's that, there is that thing I've seen a lot of people say, and I think it's like a totally reasonable complaint of wanting that mid run save. Like yeah. that is totally fine. But I, I think people like misconstrue it as like every time you play, you have to play three hours at a time. You know what I mean? Like a good run might last like an hour. But I mean, like if I'm playing for a few hours at night, like I'm going through multiple runs. It's not a, like, if you want to really truly beat the game after you've spent a lot of time with it, you might want to set aside a big chunk of time. But like, for the most part, I feel like it's reasonably bite-sized. You know, I think, I hope people aren't getting scared away thinking they have to play it like in four hour chunks without saving. It's not, it doesn't really work like that. And you can still pause it and put it in rest mode and stuff. It's just, yeah. people are worried yeah. about bugs but then, or you know, crash. You don't want it to update overnight. If that right, <laughs> right. All that weird stuff. But yeah, I mean, just the tone. Also like, I think, you know, I was interested in it because it looked great. And I, you know, I like, I like Mark. okay. I'm not, I've never been a huge, like, arcade I like story-driven games. And it was that late sort of lo- trailer tease where they showed her, like, walking up to her house. Yeah. That I was like, That's what got me into this, it, too. Ooh, okay. Yeah, this seems really cool. And, like, I am really enjoying the sort of, the conceit and the story of, like, her, like what's happening exactly and how mysterious it is. It's, it's, I'm really it's just trying to walk around in a house in any game yeah. really is what I've learned. I mean, it also functions. So it's, it's such a rewarding thing to have that moment where occasionally you do get to go in the house. Like I've only gone in there twice at this point, but it's like, it's so intense all the time that the reward is a moment to just sort of walk around in a relaxed way and just try and figure out what's happening. Like it, it really works well. I'm really loving it. That's great. Returnal, everybody. PlayStation five exclusive. Thanks for checking in Kyle. Yeah. I haven't, um, I haven't even made it to the second biome yet. But I'm like eight hours in something like that, and so I, it's still kicking my ass. But I still like it a lot, and it's yeah, it's a great that, podcast. Get the astronaut figure once if you get him. That's a that that'll that'll help you get through. Okay, thanks for the tip, um, Serial. Yes, we need to hear this new mystery person. Would you mind taking uh, the blow and clapping out of here, buddy? All righty, she's here, everybody. Uh, Hello. Sarah Podzorski, welcome to the show. What a surprise! And it's not just one of those classic situations where Sarah Podzorski jumps in as a guest. Uh, Officially, she is joining us, not quite at the cohort tier, but Mm -hmm. somewhere in that mix. Uh, Your official title is Sarah. Oh no. Oh no, because you've told me this so oh, no. many times and it literally goes in one year and it like leaves out the other. Yep, that's fair. Uh, we, okay. we we went with streaming compatriot. Okay, streaming compatriot. P- yeah. Can I try that again? Ask me again. Sarah, please tell me your official title. My official title is streaming compatriot. <laughs> Put it on the resume. Yeah. Thank you for being here and thanks for everybody for supporting us over on Patreon to make things like this possible. Uh, it's all because of you. Uh, Sarah is joining us as part of a larger initiative here at MinMax where uh, we are going to be pushing and streaming more on Twitch. So basically, this is MinMax Plays is what we're calling mm-hmm. it. We've had a couple streams here and there, but we're in a way doubling the amount of MinMax content we're creating. <laughs> if you look at it from a certain perspective, uh, because we're gonna be streaming 
two days a week now on Twitch, in addition to New Show Plus, which we also stream every week at uh, noon central. So Tuesdays, Sarah mm-hmm. is going to be streaming, and then Thursdays, one of the cohorts is going to be streaming. We'll alternate exactly who that's going to be, and there's going to be a lot of multiplayer sessions in there as well, but primarily these are going to be solo streams just for an opportunity to hang out with the chat. Yes, Sarah? Yes. Yes. Love hanging out with chat. Love talking with chat. Come hang out. Come say hi. We'll play some fun. We'll play some fun games. Um, yeah. I don't promise to be good at the games. I am just someone who plays games. Ooh. Did you so know that, Hanson, when you set this all up? If you were expecting shroud level, <laughs> shroud level uh, content... But you're it's gonna be, not here. You're going to be starting with uh, Resident Evil Village on Tuesday. Yes. will be your first yes. uh, solo stream over there at mm-hmm. twitch.tv slash show. So give us a follow there. We're going to be streaming a lot. So come say hi. Obviously, a sub would be amazing, but just give us a follow. Twitch.tv slash Yeah, Please support show. me yeah. while I run from the big lady. <laughs> or run towards I'm a little her. scared. We'll see how it goes. Um, this is going to be fun. And so, yeah, uh, this Thursday, we'll have our first big uh, group stream on Twitch where we're going to be streaming. I think the plan right now is to stream Ember, which is a co-op uh, firefighting game. And it's going to be Sarah and Leo and I as a way to kind of kick off min-max plays here overall. But it'll be a fun time. So thanks to everybody for the support. Um, but Sarah, obviously, you're welcome to join us on the podcast whenever you'd like as well. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. We'll do. <laughs> it's less fun than streaming, <laughs> I understand. Um, so we it's should like, talk sure, about... I'm not going to join. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we should talk about new Pokemon Snap. This hot new Switch release. Um, I, we streamed a lot of it uh, last week, actually, and I've continued to play. Janet, how much have you played at this point? I've only, I still only played those first four hours. Um, so I think I jumped in on your, I, I rated y'all, which is also us. Don't think about it too much. Uh-huh. Um, and I think like I was um, around where y'all were at. Like when I basically when I dropped off my stream, it's like, OK, that's where I ended. So I still am in like that first area. But that first area lasts for a really, really long time. So uh, I've taken some photos. I also spend a long time selecting my photos and like going through all the menus and things. So I'm sure I could have made more progress if I cared less about the pictures themselves. But that's the whole game. So you got to do it. Yeah. If you don't care about the pictures, what the hell are you doing? Um, Sarah, how much have you played? I made it to the volcano. Okay. So I don't know. I think I just unlocked the area up on top of the mountain. Right. So not all the way through it yet. Um, just sort of, just sort of, it's surprising for a game that seems on the surface like it should be so peaceful. Yeah. Uh, how absolutely stressful it is. <laughs> like you're just scared you're going to miss something? Yeah, absolutely. Like you come in and I'm like looking behind me and then all of a sudden a Pokemon will fly over my head and I'm like, what was that? And then all of a sudden it's over. It feels like the only way I can describe it is if somebody like tied you to a golf cart (laughs) and sent it shooting through a zoo, gave you a digital camera and said, take as many pictures of animals as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. We are not stopping. Yes, I mean, perfect. It has always been a game that it, it may not have a countdown in the corner, but it, it it you're always playing against a countdown. You know what I mean? You're stuck really in and this time loop of like going back this area again and again and again. And all the Pokemon will be doing the exact same things that were last time. And just hey, it's up to you. You either yeah, get it or you miss like it. Real nature. And I think it's like real nature. I haven't finished it yet either. Um, 
but I don't think it has like the speed up boost like that was in the original. So you're kind of like locked into that speed going through, but it does so many things better than the original. Just like having the animals change as you take pictures, you get experience, which levels up the area, which results in different behaviors and new Pokemon. And then you can actually choose which level of the level <laughs> you're doing. Like, I think my big takeaway, I have a lot of them, but one of them is just like, I'm still a little bit confused about how to quote unquote make progress and the entire like push mm. of you gotta, it's all about the crystal blooms. Like mirror needs his crystal bloom <laughs> pictures no matter what. And that's core to it. But I definitely have hit those moments of like, okay, so do I get to the next level just by leveling this up or I need to somehow trigger a crystal bloom in everything, every single level. And that's what makes mirror happy ultimately. Yeah. Know. I noticed that especially on level one, it feels like I'm being shunned. Like, none of the Pokemon turn around to look at me. Like, they purposely turn in the opposite direction. Yeah. It's a lot I'm of like, yelling at animals. It hurts my feelings to watch, like, Grookey just look at me and then walk away. You're like, wait, but because in the original Pokemon Snap, they did, like, the same thing every single time. Right. But in this one, you're like, okay, it's level one. Uh, no one's going to look at me. I won't get any good photos. Let's just get this over with. <laughs> yeah, they're, you're not, like, worthy of their time. In level no, one. and then they like they got to get used to you. You know, you got to like prove your chops as a photographer, and then they'll start like doing weird stuff and like posing and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean that is that is kind of a Pokemon thing, though, right? Like you got to be a certain level for them to respect you. you That's yeah. true. That is true. That's a good point. Uh, by the way, chat's screaming at me that I'm very wrong. Apparently, you get boost later. It's a it's a post game thing. Okay, oh, good. I'm glad, glad that. I, well, okay, I, I haven't gotten there yet. But post game, like the game's over. Like you don't get credit for that. Like yeah, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> like. You know, this could maybe be a hot take or not, but like for me, like the credits roll, everything after, it could be like, and it could be nice. It could be like a cool thing, but with the closest exception I might give you is Animal Crossing. Of but course. even then, I'm like, why do we get terraforming so late? That's kind of rude. Like, it's rude. Mm -hmm. it's but rude. like Animal Crossing, it's like what credits roll when you like open up the when museum. Yeah. No, when KK comes. Oh, that's what it is. When KK comes. comes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it's like, that's Who just the start. Who could forget that iconic performance? But He's like, saying his soul out in front of all of us. <laughs> the developers' names were there. It was beautiful. You were there. Your villagers were there. It's like it didn't mean anything to you. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about the good times we had together. But yeah, new Pokemon he was Snap. like, oh, I felt that, you know? Like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Message received. But like with new Pokemon Snap, like that is, that's just the start of the game when the credits roll. Like, especially with the more online stuff, community stuff, like they want you to really care about the total Pokedex Have score going Have you seen like this. the top 10 people on the leaderboard with their like three, I checked one day, two million was the highest. I checked like two days later, three million. What are these people doing? It's going to be what a really doing? fun like metagame to watch is like that high score race in new Pokemon Snap because like, yeah, what is the high-end min-maxing of new Pokemon Snap? When does Snap it stop? Like? It won't. Where it's is fascinating. the ceiling? There has to be like a ceiling of this is the best possible picture you can get of this Pokemon. Well, this is the problem is, uh, Kyle, please don't take offense to this just because you look exactly like him, but Professor Mirror <laughs> is out of his freaking mind. And I know yeah. it's tough to judge. Look, I have high standards, all right? I understand. But like, it's tough to judge art, but there's a lot of those things where it's like, okay, so he's only into a shot if it's a boring ass Pokemon, full frame in the center, making mm -hmm, just me. dead eye eye contact with them. Like yes, that's what yes. he needs. And it's like, that's or, not art. Or if the Pokemon's clearly been like recently abused. 
by an apple. Oh, yeah, he's, he's into like, it. oh my god, amazing, amazing shot. How did you get this? And the and the not the apple, but the fluff fruit is sitting right there. It's like, how did you get this shot? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm a really good photographer. It's just stuck. Or to worse, there's like eight around. apples there because you yeah. missed the first piece, or fluff fruit, you know. But yeah, I feel like that's what they need in the. So what's interesting is you can go in and edit photos, not that Professor Mirror judges, but you can like go back and like retake and like tweak someone's uh, if you want to actually save it to the album later um, and upload those. And like, I wish there was just like an automatic fluff fruit undo because so many of my best shots, it just looks like an apple orchard down there. It's just freaking nuts. But like someone in chat said, he's a researcher first, not a photographer. (laughs) I get that. Remember that when he criticizes my photos, okay, he needs to remember where we stand. It's like I've learned nothing with this piece of trash that you've taken. Yeah, I it's wish artsy, but it's not me, productive. Like I'm not here. I don't get it. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Professor Mirror. Yeah, well, stop I, us when we stop telling the truth. Is the thing. I feel like you need to have like two professors. One to have like old vanilla mirror being like professor of art, like a hippie art teacher. Yeah, and it's just like random AI art critiques. Where, like, he's just really passionate Ooh. about, like, weird shots. You could take a picture of, like, the sky and, like, turn it red. And he's like, this is... Like some is avant-garde a- stuff. Yeah, he's like, know? this is 4,000 points. But you just never know what to expect from, like, this alternate weirdo. Because it otherwise, it's just kind of like, well, I know the shots he's going to like. It's Pikachu's face basically full frame ready to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle, what has stood out to you about the game so far? Um, I mean, it's very... It fe- I'm not very far. It's And it it feels, you know, a lot... Like the original, it's kind of one of those things like you play that first level and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess this is kind of a simple formula that it's weird that it hasn't it's taken so long to come back. But yeah. I mean, the the charm of the original, which you you have a lot more nostalgia for than me, Hanson. I, I only played it like at friend's house, you know, when I when I released and it was that thing of seeing Pokemon in a different setting in 3D. Like that was for the first time. Right. That was yeah. pre Pokemon Stadium. Right. Yep. And that that charm is kind of gone. So now it has to sort of live or die by how fun it is to take photos. And it is fun to take photos. I don't know. know. I don't know if it has gone. Like, first of all, you have the aspect of so many of these new Pokemon. I maybe have seen once or twice, but like I'm actually getting to know a lot of these new freaks names, which is nice. But then there's still moments like uh, in the new beach level, like when Whale Lord comes out of the water. It's like that is an incredible Pokemon moment that I haven't experienced in any other game yet. I learned that I don't like some Pokemon in 3D and other Pokemon <laughs> I like more in 3D. Mm. So I learned I used to be a really big fan of like Corsola, but the way the mm. Corsolas move around, they kind of rock back and forth on these tiny little <laughs> peg legs. And it makes the most unnerving sound to me <laughs> that I really prefer them in 2D. And the 3D is just a little too far, maybe. Yeah. Some of like the new designs, you can kind of see the weakness in the art when you see them in 3D, like I forget the freaks' names, but like on the volcano level, like the so kind of mean. Like, but kind of like the furry dinosaur. Are you talking about the West ones. Side Story birds? I think so. T-pose. All they do is T-pose, kind of, and they kind of like walk by this is people the weirdest with game their of arms out. Pokemon. <laughs> it's like art. and they look at each other like West Side Story. They're about to start yeah. snapping. Yes, yes. Are they I think jet all it. the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Archeops okay. is this thing. Like this one that was like yeah. seeing that art in 3D. Okay, not the strongest design overall, but I I have really been loving it. Like, I think it's a really smart idea, even if it took a while for me to understand, because I'm an idiot, but, like, the star system, 
I think it's really interesting. I don't really want to talk about the star system. <laughs> well, here's my problem with the star system. So basically, all these photos are different categories that are mm-hmm. hidden unless you go into the Pokedex to see it. But it's four different categories. But it's confusing because you think, well, star system, so four stars is better. And it's like, it might be more elaborate, but it's just a different mold. And the idea there is to get away from, in the original, it'd be like, well, if you have a picture of surfing Pikachu, it's going to be your top Pikachu shot. But to have like, okay, surfing Pikachu is a separate subcategory of Pikachu, so you can still have basic ass Pikachu, and that can still be a, a premier shot. But what's your problem with the star system, Sarah? It just it was kind of hard to understand in the beginning because yeah. it is basically rarity of behavior. And if you use like a fluff fruit, it could be an awful shot, but it's automatically two star versus like being a one star. Um, so it's just like that kind of stuff. But also, since we're talking about the different categories, one thing that confuses me is some of the Pokemon have different evolutions. So, like, Lycanroc has morning and nighttime okay. forms, and those are different evolutions, similar to, like, Vaporeon, Umbreon, but they fill up the same pages. So all my Lycanroc is, like, the midnight form of Lycanroc, because mm. that's when it comes out, and I have no morning photos of Lycanroc, because they just get overwritten. So that was just a little weird to me. Yeah, that is weird. And like on that front too, it's weird that as far as I know, there aren't evolutions in the game. Like that was like the coolest thing is like pushing a magic carp into the waterfall or like pushing the, mm-hmm. the Charmeleon into the volcano and have like this big evolution moment. And I don't think it's in there, at least from what now I've seen so far. Now it just hurts them. No, I'm just kidding. There's, yeah. there's no option to do that. <laughs> but like... I think my biggest beef with the star system is, and I think it's telling that we have so many different complaints of it. Yeah. Like, that's probably not a good sign. Um, but is the fact that, like, you, it kind of pushes you to, like, get your one through four stars. And there's different gradings as well, which is, like, an additional layer of systems to learn. Yay. Mm. Um, but they don't let you, like, if I have, uh, you know, three pictures of, like, um, you know, beat. Bidu for whatever, um, which is a great. I love that Pokemon now more for because this game because it's everywhere. It looks adorable. This game pro Bidoof propaganda. Yeah. Yes, the it's Pokemon like the mascot. Company, they the always Pokemon had secret mascots. Is trying to get all of us to really like Bidoof because for it's April working. Fools, for April Fools, they changed their entire account to a Bidoof only account. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but yeah. like, what is the end game here? Because. I, f- I like Bidoof now. He's very cute, but I don't like that you're making me like him. Yeah. <laughs> you're seeing inside the maybe door. They see, like. Maybe they want to see what they can get away with. Like, let's pick someone doofy and innocuous and see if we can sell, like, how many new Pikachu-type level loves can we create? Because they did it with Wooloo, too. Now, Wooloo's way less derpy than Bidoof. Mm-hmm. Wooloo's, like, inherently lovable. Like, they made Wooloo so you would love Wooloo. Yeah. And I had no problems with it, you know? I want to hold Wooloo. I want to live with Wooloo. I don't want to involve Wooloo, like Wooloo, it's just me and Wooloo all day, yep. every day, Sword and Shield, forever. But yeah, Beedoof is like the mascot of this one, which at least feels like it, you know, they kind of lean on it really heavily in the beginning. But like, if I get, you know, four shots of Beedoof, because I love him now, I gotta keep taking pictures of it, I can't, I can only submit one per run, like mm-hmm. to fill in the binder. And it right. just feels like, my big beef with this game, and I played it when I was a kid, and now I'm starting to think that, um, which a lot of us have learned this over, over the years, it's painful to learn, I'm like, I don't think I had good taste in games when I was like six whoa, or seven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like seven-year-old me would have been trash on a podcast because no granted, some of you argue that 27-year-old me is same difference, but you know, I'm older now at least and have more ideas behind my my opinions. But I, I really loved the game because it was, you know, it's cute. You're with the Pokemon. And I think 
it is still a very cute game and you're still with the Pokemon, but you know, I put it down after, you know, to play Resident Evil, but admittedly, even if I didn't have other games to play, I don't think I would have been super excited to continue it. It just, the loop just wasn't that fun. I do like taking the photos and like, you know, I think some of the things you can do with like the photo editing aspect is cool, but then it's kind of like, well, what do I do with these? And back in the day you could print them out, but now like basically my only incentive and for me to keep playing is to get like things that I can meme on Twitter, which is a decent <laughs> incentive. I That's like so content. gross. But outside of that, what else is the purpose? To like, have fun playing the game. What are you talking about? You take the cute picture. That about a lot of games though. <laughs> yeah, you know? but like, I guess that's my thing. Like, I don't have fun score. in the loop. I don't have fun in the loop. Sure, yeah. And I don't have fun with the thing that I find the most fun, which is editing the photos. So it's like, there's a, it doesn't really have a purpose. It's like, it's just a fun fact. It's not, you can make them into even like wallpapers easily or something like that. So it's like, huh, I guess I'm doing this because I like Pokemon and they're cute, which maybe yeah. that can be enough for you. But I just kind of want to put it out there as someone that is always here for a cute game. It was not enough for me. Now that's not to, you know, I never really like to be too heavy headed with like encouraging or discouraging folks but that is my take i was shocked as someone who was like i was at the GameStop. i bought this pokemon mug impulsively got the pokemon like i love pokemon i like cute stuff i liked snap as a kid this one didn't really do it for me i just feel like the the progression loop was it was it's too repetitive of a progression loop and it can be unclear at times so i think the combination mm. of lack of clarity and repetitiveness is just makes it really hard to get into this game mm. for me However, I feel like it completed the assignment. They said, we're going to make a Pokemon Snap game. It's assignment completed. Did Absolutely. it go maybe above and beyond? No, but the assignment was completed. You're, it, it really is like, and that's the thing. It is true to what the game is. Like, this is what this game has always been. And I guess like for me, it was a combination of, I hoped it would be a little bit like more modernized or have more like innovative ideas infused on the baseline. Yeah. And two, like nostalgia goggles where I'm like, oh, it was great. Like we were throwing apples and Pikachu was surfing and, you know, I didn't have to pay rent. So like this was the era, you know, but now I'm like, I, I just, it didn't hit the same for me. And I was kind of disappointed by it, honestly. Yeah, I, I can see that it it's better than I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, it's like, if we're making a game to release in 2021, do we need to be on the track? I mean, like, if you remove the nostalgia and the connection to the old game, there's plenty of areas where it's like, all right, it's a game about taking pictures of Pokemon. That can go so many different angles and to be so literal to the old one. I, you know, I, I could see it brings it down in some people's minds for just replaying these levels again and again, even if they are changing and evolving and you know, kind of you're working your way through it and stuff. I actually, maybe this is idiotic, but I was expecting like more connections to the old game or was kind of hoping for it where it's like playing through it. I'm like, it's been 22 years. You couldn't use some of the old music, have like an orchestra to take on some of the old music, or even like the polka flute music instead of the crappy music player that I just have to hey, spam over hey, and over again. what do you mean? That is an absolute bop. All no, the Pokemon it is not. damn out to it. <laughs> You're out of your mind. The Pokemon are fleeing, <laughs> fleeing from the track when they hear that crap coming. Um, but like, I was just kind of bummed out. Like I wanted more of that nostalgia, but that kind of ties into what's really weird about this game from a Pokemon company aspect. Um is they have Todd in the game, our boy Todd, who is you mm -hmm. know, protecting us from the first game, which is cool to have him come back. But, Kyle, I don't know if you picked up on this weird distinction, that idea that, like, in the original Pokemon Snap, it was so much more based on the anime, and now this new one is a more, like, modern take on Pokemon. So Todd now exists in both universes, where he has seen the universe where every Pokemon says their name, like the original Pokemon Snap, but then also in this universe, this is now the more 
canonical Pokemon universe where every Pokemon is just going to say their cry. And it's not really the Professor Oak from the cartoon like it was in the other one. It's, it's like this weird blurry fusion of multiple Pokemon universes at once. So it's a multiverse of madness situation. I think Todd has been plucked from the different universe. Yeah, for the true multiverse of madness. But yeah. Burrito uh, Todd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm still enjoying it. It's a great podcast game. Um, Sarah, are you going to keep playing it? Or are you just in it for the memes and you're yeah, out the door? I mean, I mean, I'm going to get through it. I'm streaming it right now, so I'm going to stream through it. I don't know how aggressive I'll get about maxing out all my Pokemon photos. It just doesn't seem worth it to me yeah. in some situations. Like, not everything needs to be diamond. Like, good enough is good enough, you know? So I'll probably finish it. Um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I still think Professor Mirror can take his, his crystal blooms and shove it. Yeah, Because I'm sick of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil Phil can take a hike as well. But he, everything else can stay. What did, who, who is Phil? Why is he there? He's just an inept photographer? Every time he appears, I'm just like, why are you here? <laughs> Apparently he's supposed to be like a hype man, but it's like if a 12-year-old followed you around and we're like, shee! Every time you did something. It'd be cool for like yeah, the first year, but after that, I agree. It'd be too much. <laughs> Some of the narrative oh, tutorialization elements are kind of like, you know how everyone says like Nintendo games need voice acting and like, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Um, I think for this one, maybe it's okay. And you can adjust it. You can turn it off and change the language, but I put it on and in English. I mean, they're, they're young people, so I understand they're children, but like being, <laughs> you know, being like yelled at whined at by like a 12 year old girl who's like and then you take this picture make sure the picture i'm like oh my god i'm gonna hurt you i'm really <laughs> gonna come out of this <laughs> like it yeah but i mean it, pokemon's already always been like inherently you know all ages friendly like the writing has always been a little cheesy very friendship oh, yeah. so it's just like this was like i wasn't expecting a gritty story but i think some of the other layers like a war like, reporter okay. or something. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. but I'm in there. Like I'm in the field. I'm doing the research. Um, Are yeah, you going to photograph just... this Pokemon or save its life? <laughs> it depends on what the photo reveals. There's so much an illness that we don't know about. In the Pokemon world, there is so much bullying. I've watched like in every scene, some Pokemon's getting harassed. You take a photo of it. You go to Professor Mirror, and he's like, "What a friendly game of tag." <laughs> I'm like, Professor Mirror, this Pokemon is being actively bullied. Dropped into a volcano slowly. Yeah. It made me hate Score Bunnies. Score Bunnies always run around. Never wants to get the photo taken. I started yeah. like getting good photos of Score Bunny out of spite. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You thought. You thought. Do you think? Like, Jan, you said, you know, we're not going to Blockbuster to print these out or whatever. Um, do you think if you were the number one new Pokemon Snap player in the world, like on that leaderboard, do you think you could get away with selling some freaking NFTs of your shots? Do you think that... Not with Nintendo being involved. Uh, I mean, it's Pokemon, not Nintendo, but um, no for that reason. They would but, crack down on it? Oh, yeah, you would so get, like, don't even think it. Okay. Don't even think it, because yeah. they will hear your thought and they will DMC you. We're on a list somewhere now, so yeah. thanks a lot. Ben. Yeah, I do what I can. Uh, um, I would, would never. It's wrong to do make any do type of money off of anything, even though I we stream games and people sometimes pay us for that. But that's don't, different. Don't that's different. Okay, that. we've said too much already. I think it's a good time to move on. Yep, new Pokemon Snap, everybody. Run, don't walk. Um, Kyle, thank you for being here. Uh, do you want to clap out there, buddy? Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Bye bye. Leo Vader's here, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Leo. Um, Leo, if you look below you, that's Sarah Podzorski. Hello. Hello. Great to meet you here on air. 
Uh, she's going to be uh, streaming on Max's account and uh, is an official streaming compatriot, Leo. Wow, you didn't even <laughs> consult me about this. <laughs> Sorry. And the yet, first I'm hearing about it. She's getting your paycheck as well, but I hope you're okay with it. Um, Fair enough. Hey, Leo, you wanted to talk about... Nay, you wouldn't let us not talk about a game called Cards and Tankards. Yeah, you know me. I've been without a game to love lately, and I feel like I finally found one in this weird thing called Cards and Tankards. Yeah, you really have been like all year just uh, moaning about like, oh, Winter Game's going to get good again. <laughs> I thought you were the Dwarf Romantic. Uh, Dwarf Romantic's pretty good, but you know, wasn't quite a long-term off. relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. but what is Cards and Tankards then? Uh, It's basically... The experience of being at a hobby shop playing uh, Magic the Gathering in VR. It's like you go in this tavern, you walk up to a table, you pull out your deck, put it on the table, somebody else comes up, puts their deck down, and you just play cards. And when you put a card down, it'll put a creature on the field in front of you, and you scoot it forward to attack with your hands, and it's like so much less toxic than Hearthstone like that because you're actually pretty much face to face with this person so the conversations you're going to have are like way more different than just like spamming taunts is or it whatever. a real person like there's a, it's not like an ai it's a real person you can play against ai but it's usually real people like it's a tavern of you know five to 16 people that's crazy it is a really unique experience but i feel like we had very different like walking into a card shop experiences to play magic the gathering that's yeah. probably true like those you know experience what? were a little different you know the other thing is i've actually never done that in real life so this is really my chance (laughs) is it it feels too intimate the idea of like just sitting across a table from somebody in vr reach the other person Mm. where how how far can you stick your arm out if you lean over the table yeah you probably could (laughs) could you like bm them and like put your hand in front of their what what's my capability to mess with the other person. If you want to be toxic, you can just walk <laughs> around the table and look at their cards if you want. <laughs> really? Yeah, there's nothing okay, to you're, stop this you. is selling it. Weird. And fun. so what is it? Is it just like missing having a social space? Or what, what do you think is the magic here for you? I think it's something I've wanted out of VR for a long time is that VR chat-like experience where it's all about the social aspects that make VR like so magical to me that made me fall in love with it in the past year. But so many VR games are just like co-op horde shooters or whatever, which are fun, but it's like doesn't quite take what VR is doing amazingly. And this is that blend of an actual game, which is this card game that like right now doesn't have any pay to win mechanics like you just buy packs with in-game currency. And the game itself is a blast to play, plus the social aspect of like building these relationships with the people in your tavern and like getting an impromptu tournament going and things like that. That's so weird. And the game that is basically so wholesome. Yeah, it's, it's too sweet. Sweet. And it's just like magic then? Like the game itself, it's pretty much Essentially, magic and Hearthstone combined. Like having played a lot of Hearthstone, it was I learned it in the first game I played, you know, as a breeze. Yeah. Cards and tankards on Steam in VR only, yes? Yes. And not on Quest yet, unfortunately. Oh, what a bummer. But they have their first tournament or second tournament coming up on May 22nd. They've got like an actual in-game tournament going. So get training. It's free. That sounds cute. I'm worried people are going to find out about it and ruin it. But let's enjoy it while it's good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Janet, do you know how this whole thing operates? 
Yeah, I think it's a site called Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Thanks for your support and continuing to let us grow. We appreciate it. Um, Leo, what is that sound? What? For me? That's right, Leo. It's Rainmaker.gg. This week, MinMax is once again supported by our friends at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, uh, streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performance and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chatbots, alerts, and more. Plus, get access to the game keys from the world's best AAA and indie publishers. Uh, for devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides powerful tools that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the the world's biggest streaming platforms. And when it's time to get your game out there, Rainmaker's campaigns feature makes it simple to put keys into the hands of thousands of content creators across the globe. So head to rainmaker.gg slash minmax or hit the link in the episode's description to get started. By the rainmaker.gg if you want a clean one to insert. Hey, thanks, man. Say it. Appreciate it. Um, I realize these, this whole segment is just me asking questions of people, <laughs> but I guess the, <laughs> that's how plugs are supposed to work, right? Um, hey, Sarah, do you like using your Switch Pro controller? Am I am I being paid to answer one way or the other? <laughs> you uh, answer honestly, and if if you answer incorrectly, I can jump to somebody else. It's too big for my hands. Okay. Janet, what's okay. better than the Switch Pro controller? Arguably nothing, because it's a damn good controller. There we go. Thank but you. There could be something. Maybe maybe you'll show me something that is. Well, it's a weird thing, because it's like, oh, I love the Switch Pro controller, but I want to play my Switch on the go. What is the solution for that? Uh, thanks to our new supporters, Fixture Gaming with the Fixture S1. Look at this funky thing. So it is a mount that you like snap the Ooh. Switch Pro controller into, and then it's adjustable and you can have the actual monitor here as well. So you can play handheld with the Switch Pro controller in a very convenient setup. Uh, isn't that cool? Uh, I've played it and yeah. it is a fantastic way to go. So uh, Fixture Gaming is the name of that. Uh, Fixture S1 is available on Amazon on the Fixture Gaming website. It's available in gray and red or blue. And if you go to their site and use the promo code MINMAX, MINMAX, all one word, you get $5 off the Fixture S1. So you can check that out. Also, uh, there is a link below in the description if you want to learn a little bit more. And because they're very generous, they're going to give some away to the MinMax community. So if you share your favorite piece of MinMax content on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you can use the promo code MinMaxFixture. I'm sorry, not promo code, hashtag MinMaxFixture. And if you use that hashtag, uh, you're in the running to win a Fixture S1. So share your favorite piece of content and hashtag MinMax Fixture, everybody. Do you like video games? Uh, yes. Internal, just just kind of just keep it. Just oh. think about it. Well, there's at least one that's close to your heart from an impactful specific moment in your life. And the Call Me By Your, Na By Your Game is a podcast that dives into these very experiences. It's an intimate look at what makes video games special for different people. On each episode, host Connor McCabe sits down with a guest to discuss a special game from their past. They dive into what the guest loves about the game and also what made it memorable for the first time in their life when they first fell in love with it. The guests are the heartbeat of the show from Hollywood buds, such as writer of the Animaniacs, Ray Reka Shankar. Reka Shankar, thank you. An actor from Veep and Scott Pilgrim versus the world, Nelson Franklin, to games industry people like IGN's Nick Lima... Le 
Nick Limone, excuse me, and voice actor of Aphrodite and Dusa from Hades, Courtney Venez. Connor interviews a litany of wonderful friends with unique experiences. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts, and maybe someday you'll call me by your game. Call me by your game. Uh, yeah, the last two episodes were about Final Fantasy VI and Ocarina of Time, so thanks to them for their support. Uh, also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit, as always, for their wonderful support. They want everybody to know that you can go to their wonderful online store and check out the Final Cut Collector's Edition of Disco Elysium for the PlayStation 5. It comes with a fabric map and an art book and a statue, and the art book is absurd. It's 190 plus pages, hardbound art book featuring oodles of previously unreleased art and stories, and the map is an illustrated fabric map of the actual district itself. So you can get the physical edition of this amazing Final Cut Collector's Edition of Disco Elysium over on iMapit's wonderful online store and use the promo code TAXDAY. Tax day, no space for 10% off everything in their wonderful online store that is under $100. So tax day is the promo code over at IMAPIT store. You can check out this item and oh, so much more. And because they're so generous, every single week they ship out a prize from their wonderful online store. And this week it is Leo. What's better than this? This week it is the vinyl soundtrack to Ape Out. Uh, Ooh. a very sweet soundtrack with a very sweet art. So they will ship that out to whoever has the best question submitted over on Patreon. If you support us at any tier on Patreon, you can submit a question for us to read on the show. We choose our number one tippy top favorite, and then that person wins a great prize from I'm 8-Bit. So thanks to I'm 8-Bit for the support. Question time, Leo? Question time, Ben. Great. Noah D writes in. He says, hello, everybody. I played through the village demo, the Resident Evil village demo, and I loved what I experienced what is odd, which is odd because I normally can't handle horror games. I'm looking at you, Resident Evil 7 and Condemned. My question is, has there ever been a game that's been too scary for you to play or finish? Just recently, we got a code for Wraith the Oblivion Afterlife, oh, which yeah. is a VR horror game, which seems very cool and is the first VR game I've seen straight rip off the flicking your wrist thing from Half-Life Alex. But I got to a point where I was like, I need someone in the room with me when I'm playing this, which I know it's like on Quest, nobody can be monitoring it. So I can't just have somebody watching me. It's just like I need somebody doing their own thing in close proximity to make me feel comfortable going to this door. It was literally just a door with a scary noise on the other side. And I was like, I can't do it. I like how that was the final straw and not like horror games in VR, which just sounds like it would kill me. I don't think my heart could handle that. I think that, that would be the end. When I was first trying VR, it didn't have to be a horror game. It was just like anything getting up in my face ruined me. Yeah. Yeah. The VR horror stuff. I mean, it's interesting you even tried Wraith. I mean, didn't you know that you were just going to be terrified? Like, it's just too much. (laughs) It had been a while. I thought maybe I'd grown up, but guess not. We're all still babies. You got to keep checking every now and then periodically. I think, you know, most games I probably... Like most of horror, basically. The reason I haven't really played much of any horror titles is because, like... I am scared all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like even Half-Life Alex, like playing a little bit of that, which I would like to go back and finish it because like everyone says it's so amazing, but like just any type of, it's not even a horror game, but like there's too many noises. You want me doing stuff. And like, at least my trick for horror when I'm like playing a game is like, if it ever gets too scary, I can kind of like look a little bit off. You can kind of sense when stuff's coming. So I sort of look a little off screen and I'm like, all right, you can talk through it. 
you can throw on like some music in the background. There are mechanisms, but with VR, it's so much more immersive because it's on your head. The only thing you really can do is not wear headphones and just have the speakers loud and close your eyes, but that doesn't really help <laughs> very much. Um, so yeah, a lot of, I've avoided a lot of VR horror stuff too. Uh, though I did review one like horror adjacent VR game and that was a lot. It was also a roguelike. So two genres I don't play. I'm like, all right, two genres I don't play, one review, let's go. Yeah. Sarah, I'm trying to figure out. I mean, horror games are just, if you're a streamer, that's just the way to go. You got to do it because it's fun to watch people be tortured on camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love it. Um, I streamed Amnesia, the newest Amnesia uh, game on stream. And I got to a point where I like lost feeling in my arm. (laughs) I was so terrified. (laughs) Because like Amnesia, they really know how to scare you they really know how to mess with you and at one point i was like why can't i feel my arms but i hit sort of a gauntlet of jump scares and this was right when the game came out and like a week later they actually toned it down because people literally couldn't even get through it you are being chased through a tunnel by a bunch of monsters and it's just every corner you round something would jump out and you also had to like hand crank which is the worst. Like I don't yeah. want being chased and having to hand crank something with the mouse. I can't, I can't, I can't Ugh. do it. So I had to call it quits there. I was like, Nope, I can't. I know, I know it. And I can't get through this. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, I think most horror games will just freak me out too much. I mean, phasmophobia, Leo, I know you loved it so much, <laughs> but like we streamed that once and it was just, I mean, absolute terror. Like, as scared as I've ever been in my life because like ghosts are my kryptonite I cannot handle that in a game all about like subtle and building ghost presence it's just no way yeah that game gets less scary the more you play it mm-hmm. but the first time each scary thing happens is yeah unforgettable yeah. Yeah. the door shuts and you're like hello and then eventually when I played it with my friends they were just like Sarah where are you and I'm like in the truck and they're like how long have you been in the truck and I'm like I'm monitoring the situation from outside the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason Wojnar writes in, he says, with the issue surrounding Returnal's save system, I wanted to ask, what is the most progress you've ever lost in a single game session, and why did you lose it? For me, I went from the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater to the first boss fight with Ocelot. In the middle of the fight, the power in the kitchen went out while my late father was cooking. Instead of finding the shorted fuse and flicking the switch, he does all of them at once, turning off the PS2 in the living room. I could tell he was under the influence of a mind-altering substance because that was such a stupid thing to do, he couldn't get mad when I yelled at him. I'd beaten Metal Gear Solid 3 many times before, and it wasn't too big of a deal, but still was bad enough to vividly remember it to this day. Good God. Uh, does anybody have a big memory of losing a lot of progress? When I was, I want to say like 12 or 13, I was playing Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life for the Nintendo GameCube. And there were three save slots that you could have. Save slot one, save slot two, save slot three. And I got through my first year. I had just married Celia. We just had our first baby together. Like the farm was thriving. It's beautiful. And my sister decided that she wanted to play. And so she goes to play a little bit and then all of a sudden she does something and she turns and she looks at me and I saw that she had accidentally saved over save slot one because it automatically puts you there. Yeah. And that was like hours and hours and hours of gameplay. So I had a little bit of a a little bit of a meltdown. I remember just like going into the basement and like cr- I was being a little dramatic and crying in a corner and my parents came down and they were like, 
Sarah, like, Hannah says she's really sorry that she did that. Um, she said that she'll play the game for you up <laughs> until that point, and you can just tell her what to do. And that's when I discovered that I, my career aspirations are middle management. Because I sat on that couch, and I was like, pick that weed, give that flower to Celia, we're going to the market, did you pet my cow? Delegating. So, Yeah. Smart, smart. That's brutal. Ugh. Does anybody else have a good one? There's that day one Last of Us bug where you couldn't save the game. So I was like, do I either beat it without turning off my system or just restart it and get this update going? And I'm glad I did because I ended up bumping it up a difficulty and enjoying it more. Yeah. For it. Oh, well, there we go. That's nice. smart. Uh, Cade Mead writes in uh, for a question with a question for you, Sarah. Uh, some games don't get official translations, but can still be played with fan translations. As a professional in the field, Sarah, can you comment mm-hmm. on the quality, simil- similarity, or disparity between fan efforts and studio efforts? There are some notoriously bad and famously good translations on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, so my the when I was in localization, the general feeling was that we people in localization don't like fan translations because they can cause a lot of issues down the line. Uh, and I don't think fan translations are nearly as common as they used to be back in the day when there was just absolutely no localization or localization would take a year. But now that games have like similar release dates, you kind of don't need it anymore. But the issue stems from a fan translation maybe will, you know, give a character a different name. And then they want to release maybe like a remake of it down the road. And the company doesn't want it to have that name. They choose a new name. And so that kind of causes a lot of a lot of issues because usually when you're localizing for a company, you have to do it kind of between guardrails of what the company wants. Yeah. And when you're a fan translation, it doesn't matter. You can do like whatever you want. And then people will always say like, I like the fan translation. I think it's better. And it's like, well, you didn't have to go through seven levels of approval process to pick a name. So it's like... It's like you get more creative freedom as a fan, a fan translator, but in the end, you could also do more harm than good. But like I asked once, I was like, I was like, how do I get into localization? Should I like help with fan translations? And they were like, oh, my God, no, do not do that. Don't even think about it. Get it out of your mind. Yeah, no, they hate it. They do not like it. Just because it's messy and kind of the dark side of Loke. Yeah. And they're also like, you're eventually maybe they'll want to localize that game and now why would people buy why would people pay money for like an english version when someone already fan translated it so it also kind of steals revenue from it doesn't exist yet but you know how companies are They're yeah like, oh my money my potential money <laughs> oh company on the line hello uh what is uh if this is somebody's first time listening to the podcast or hearing your voice you want to run through your history with game localization sure um so I decided at a young age that I was really interested in localization because I really like Japanese games. And it just really interested me how they, because it's not like a one-to-one. Japanese to English will never have a one-to-one. It can be a little tricky. So I always was really fascinated by how, you know, the cultural differences were sort of applied. And I got really into that in college. And then when I went to school in Japan for a year, uh, I spent a year abroad I did an internship with localization company 8.4, which is kind of like boutique localization. Um, There's a bunch of bigger localization companies, but this was like boutique, like handmade, like 
I want to say it's like top shelf localization in a way versus going to one of like keywords or like something else like pole to win's a big one. But um, yeah, I worked there for a year and then I graduated college and I went back and I worked there for like another year and a half. So Working, very interested in it. It was like Xenoblade Chronicles X and a little bit of Monster Hunter World. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Uh, Near Automata, uh, Fire Emblem, Echoes. So like a few. Yeah. Do you have a favorite project cool. that you worked on there? My favorite project was Undertale because that's the one that we really got. And that was like a English to Japanese localization. Yeah. And Undertale just had so many funny moments. Like Undertale is known for being like the writing in it being so interesting. So taking that and turning it into Japanese and trying to like, you know, find the right translator, find the right editor and kind of key it into the Japanese culture. I think that was like, it was like a reverse thought experiment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Andrew Baker writes in, he says, hello, MinMaxers. With the news of Alex Navarro, Leo, I hope you're sitting down. Uh, with the news of Alex Navarro, Vinny Caravella, and Brad Shoemaker leaving Giant Bomb, what do you think of the news and what are some of your favorite memories of them? They're legends in the industry in my view and they'll be missed. I will definitely miss Alex Navarro's drum, epic drum drumming sessions for Rock Band. Uh, yeah, um, you could tune into the latest episode of New Show Plus where we're watching an old E3 press conference on our YouTube channel to watch us react to this news live as it happens. But Leah, now that you've been processing it, what do you, what do you think about everything that went down there? God, obviously a lot of great memories, a lot of liked clips on YouTube, but I really, I, I believe I got to the point of interviewing at giant bomb that one time before I was yeah. at game informer that I was on a video call with Vinny, Alex, and Dan at the time. And I think back on that as just like truly one of the most surreal experiences of my life, having followed them for so long before that. And <laughs> would have been cool. It would have been, been cool. an equally cool path for my life to go on. You really should have recorded that and then released it as cool YouTube comments so it could be everybody else's favorite memory as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is so mind-boggling. To just think that, well, I guess BeastCast is just gone. Like one of my favorite gaming podcasts is just overnight. It all just feels so sudden, especially compared to, I don't think I'm misremembering this, but like with Abby just recently when she left, it was like a month or two months of a heads up. And so to have this just quick turnaround of like, and Friday's our last day, goodbye. It's just, it's a lot for fans to wrap their minds and, and hearts around. And like, you know, it's uh, people talking in the Minmax Discord, but there's still like waves that hit you of like, oh, I was really looking forward to hearing Brad's take on the Mass Effect remaster. And I was like, all right, that won't be on the bombcast at least with bizarre bummer or just the game of the year stuff this year. Who knows what that's going to be like? Um, but Gersman is still there. Um, he had a, a statement saying that, uh, you know, it basically comes down to it's a good time to kind of rethink what a video game website is in 2021. Um, so it's kind of an interesting opportunity to kind of reset things, redefine what Giant Bomb is. They talk about, they've already been talking to working with creators, so who knows what form that'll eventually take. But I'm excited to see somebody as smart as Jeff Gersman tackle the problem of how do you reboot a gaming website in 2021 for the future? I think that's just academically really fascinating. It was interesting on that new episode of the Bombcast to hear them talk about their struggle with their uh, insistence on being a website. Yeah. In a world where there's four websites that anyone uses. And yeah, that is something so unique about them. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many things that just in their discussion on the last bombcast, I think really drive to it about like, they 
are kind of big pioneers of the Patreon model before Patreon existed. And now with the rise of all these Patreon outlets, these lousy, dirty Patreon outlets, mm -hmm. like what is the place for Giant Bomb? It's just, they were a weird legacy, even though they were the new age cutting edge thing. And now it's going to be in a radically different form because Alex, Vinny and Brad will not be there. Like that, yeah, the, it was like a Patreon thing with way more overhead than any Patreon thing has now is kind of the tough part. Right, yeah. To like be a in a company, in a media company that's owned by a larger company and still pushing personality, it just doesn't really exist because I think at a certain point, everybody realizes like it's a lot more efficient if you just go out and do this on your own. You can, the tech is not that expensive, you know? Um, and so they were in a weird spot and now they're in an even stranger spot. Um but yeah, it's a, it's really sad. And it's a, you know, a nice reminder. Well, first of all, congratulations to those three. I'm curious to see where they all go next. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, but it's just, you know, a nice reminder that there's a lot of theories and a lot of speculation about what happened, why they're leaving. Um, and it's like, we all know their personalities really well from years and years of listening to their podcasts and watching their videos. But knowing somebody's personality is a far cry from knowing the circumstances and knowing the situation they were in. You know, it's like, just imagine your own office and the amount of office politics in there. And it's like, and then having somebody from the outside assume they know what's happening in there. It's like, just everybody has to take a step back. We have no idea what happened internally. And it's nice just to give them some time to process everything before maybe we'll get some more light on exactly what happened and why they made this choice. But it's definitely mm -hmm. sudden. It's, it's going to be a new era for Giant Bomb. Um, but fascinating on a bunch of different fronts. And you know what, Leo? Change happens. Sometimes some good can come out of it. Sometimes 13 years is enough. Sometimes. Yeah, right? Okay, like, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot to say on the subject because I admittedly wasn't following Giant Bomb like that. Like, I knew them as, like, definitely, like, a titan in the industry, but not something that I really consumed. So I don't have a lot to say on that front. But, yeah, I think with stuff like this, you know, like, I'm always just pro people going to do what, I, what will hopefully make them happy. Yeah. I feel like, for the most part, whenever any human makes any decision for something, it's usually for the better. I guess there are like circumstances where you take steps back that feel like this is a choice I'm making that I don't like, but I think those instances are pretty rare. So, you know, my hope is that like they're doing this because they think it'll be a good thing for them, like whatever it is they're doing next. And yeah, I think people forget, um, you know, listening to shows and consuming content that like at the end of the day, like, these things are just jobs and like, you know, everyone in the industry takes their job super seriously and has a lot of love and passion for it. But like, yeah, like you can jump around, do a lot of different things, go where you want, change things up. Um, that's such a long run to have in this industry. And I think one reason, I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons there's different turnover and shifts in the industry, some negative, some positive, but like, ultimately I, I kind of, to look at the optimistic side, I feel like people always kind of want better in some form and feel like they can get something better somewhere else. It might not be like you might be losing some of the good from one place, but gaining some new good that might not be even noticeable to people. Like maybe it's just even like different schedules or there's different things. Like we all have lives outside of our work. And I think it's, you know, it's totally fine to be sad about things ending, especially when it's content yeah. that you've loved. But I think it's important to as much as you can match the energy of the people who are making the announcement. If they seem neutral or happy about it, like try to meet them with that because like no one is indebted to make stuff for you. And I think it's a good reminder to, Hey, if you really do like something, like do your best to try to support it in some way, downloading, letting it play in the background. Even if you're not listening, like I think <laughs> it's a good reminder of like, I saw a lot of people saying, Oh man, I was looking to catch up and now I can't. And it's like, yeah, you know, like 
go consume some cool work from, from some cool people because you never know how long stuff will last. And, you know, it might not end for bad reasons, but everything ends. That is mm. literally the only thing we have guaranteed that things end. So enjoy them while they're there and, you know, give them their flowers before. Don't wait for someone to leave a company to say, hey, I love your work. Right. Yeah. Send mm-hmm. some love over to Jason A. Striker right now for, for still being <laughs> over there at Giant Bomb. But I mean, Leo, I guess, you know, we went through kind of a vaguely similar thing about like leaving Game Informer and it's like the idea that anybody from the outside world understood all the office dynamics at play that happened with like when just both of us left it's like no one has any idea and this is just seems like a bigger yeah. version of that or maybe for even, us oh go ahead even for us who maybe it was similar truly who knows it's like easy for me to project those emotions on what's going on there and to right. catch myself as like even i do not know what's going on right with them for sure uh, Mike Lynch writes in. He says, Hello, cohorts. Uh, I've noticed that Game Dev Studios being acquired by Sony and Microsoft is typically met positively, but with a critical eye by gamers and games media. The reaction to movie studio acquisitions by film journalists seems to be more on the hostile side. All the IP currently under the Disney Plus banner has journalists and film Twitter worried that they will hide classic movies in their vault, while Disney has already made it harder for uh, theaters to run older films they own. Why do you think people seem to have more faith in gaming companies than a company like Disney? I think we've seen more of what Disney is and Disney has way more of a history in, in film and other media like games is like one of the newest art forms to exist. Like the history is very small. You can find someone who's like 40 plus who's seen most of mainstream what we still talk about that's relevant. And that's not the same for any type of like medium. So I think that itself is unique. And then the other thing is um, I think Disney is just such a powerhouse that um an acquisition by Disney, I think, well, at least for me, like I'm not a film critic, but like an acquisition by Disney, I also see what it means for that IP. Uh, and I think Disney is one of the clearest propagators of uh, a quote from uh, my friend and fellow critic and like now PR, uh, Natalie Flores, super brilliant writer, uh, check her out. She once said on a podcast I was with on her that a story is over when capitalism says it is. And I think that's very true of Disney. And is it great that we've gotten more Star Wars? In some ways, sure. I like Star Wars. But I also know once Disney bought Star Wars, I knew that I would never stop getting Star Wars. Like, and that's just, you know, going to be how it is because that's how they are versus at least on the game side. I don't necessarily look at, you know, Sony acquiring any studio and saying, now we're guaranteed like dozens of like sub different degrees of successful games from like this studio. Um, I think also that part of it is like how hard development is and stuff. And also I think we see, at least I see Sony acquisitions oftentimes as Sony adding to their repertoire, making their console more appealing and also um, potentially providing benefits that studio that they didn't previously have. So I think even if it's not super accurate, I sort of see it as a little bit more of an autonomy and support thing rather than Disney, like eating things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Also, I still go to Disney world and stuff. Like this is not me saying I'm above the mouse. Like I got the ears. Like, yeah. yeah I look, I'm you're on board. There, but then I'm also like, Hmm, capitalism. But then I'm like, let me buy this overpriced slushy. Like it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Whereas Disney plus. Yeah. Microsoft's approach to buying a studio. We haven't seen too many, crashing and burning you know if ea buys a studio i feel like there's a little bit more of a history there that people can apply to it where you know maybe not the most optimistic take but with microsoft at least recently this kind of new wave of microsoft acquisitions under kind of newer leadership we haven't seen too many disaster cases yet also i think it's an issue of you hear about game closure game studio closures every week 
and the idea that like, oh, they have, they're more reliable now. Like they have more resources. They can do yeah. more is exciting versus like, this was already doing good stuff. And now who knows what they are going to do and can do in the future. Yeah, definitely. Travis Brinkley writes in, he says, Hey, Min Max, I thought I'd try to come up with a game for you. So here it is. I've gone through a list of different games, remasters slash remakes, and chosen the most unique names that aren't just definitive edition for you to guess which games they're a part of. Okay, so the name of the remaster, guess the name of the game. Nice. Scholarship edition. We buzzing with our names? You can just say your guess. Bully. There we go. Nitro Fueled. Crash Team Racing. Awesome. War Mastered Edition. A Warhammer thing? Nope. The main character's name is War. And peace? No. History. <laughs> History. Darksiders, everybody. Uh, oh, God. It's all right. Uh, this all one right. is Life Thracier. Odin Sphere, ladies and gentlemen. All right. This one's wow. for you, Sarah. Infinite. What game was remastered or remade? And it was, uh, I believe the producer was an old coworker of yours. Infinite? Oh. Hmm. Is that it's not, it's not, it's not Res Infinite. Yeah, it's Res Infinite. Okay, there cool, we go. <laughs> awesome. uh, okay, lay up here. We got Kiwami. Yakuza. There we go. Rehydrated. Oh, SpongeBob. Killing it. Reignited Trilogy. Spyro. Wow, there we go. Thanks, nice. Travis. I got all like the water, like no shade to those games, but I got like all of a very specific era of time. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Steven <laughs> Sell writes in, he says, hey there, what is the last thing you did for the first time? <laughs> sort of those questions that'll really haunt you for a while. This is an excellent question. Yeah, for me, it'd probably be roller skating. I mean, I could be petty and be like, when I got my first dose of the vaccine, also get, get your vaccine, everyone. <laughs> I could say that, but that's like a really cheap answer so yeah. yeah i would say roller skating was the last time i did something for the first time i'm now i started in january and i kind of didn't go out super often to learn um i've picked it up a lot more and i'm like i'm definitely not good like y'all uh-huh. have seen the videos i'm not good i post them on twitter i know i don't look good <laughs> i look like i'm moving in slow motion but i can move like i can put them on i can get from one place to the other i can I can at one point start moving and, and I can come to a stop. Is it a stop that I did on my own volition? Did I just run out of speed? We're not going to talk about that. Right. The fact of the matter is I can start, I can stop, I can sit back down. Uh, it's been fun. I just bought roller skates. Yes! Oh, don't don't say that! Inline. They're coming on Friday. <laughs> are they quad or inline? They're quad. I, do, I can do inline. What brand? Um, Impala, because they were the cheapest. Trash. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good starter one from what I've heard. Have you... So, like, what what got you into it? Like, what made you decide to it's pick it up? So, it's so trendy now, right? Like, all the girls yeah. on TikTok are spinning around on their roller skates. And I'm like, I want to be hot and trendy in my roller skates. And now I'm like, I don't know how to move. And I don't know how to stop. Oh, my God. We have to. Like, we should definitely. Do, when I do, it'll be hot girl summer. Okay? <laughs> definitely need to talk and have, like, a min-max skate session. Because, yeah, I've spent a lot of time. Like, my roommate also picked it up, too. And, like. She's been great at like doing the research of like how to change your bearings and what a bearing is and stuff like that and change, you know, cleaning that out and getting different wheels. I was rolling with like wheels that were too small outside oh, no. for like a, a long time, oh, which no. was a lot. But yeah, it was not good. I was like, why is this so hard for me? It wasn't just me. 
Um, but yeah, like a lot of like YouTube tutorials and TikTok. I also got into it because of TikTok, uh, just because I'm like, I want to like put on my music and like just vibe. But to do that, you need to put on like your music and just fall um, a lot. <laughs> so, but after that, like we're really going to start to build it up. But it's such a, it's been such a fun hobby to get to try something and something outside where I'm not like playing a game or looking at my phone. It's just such a joy. But yeah, we should definitely talk offline about uh, skating and stuff. Cause how to skate. Yeah. Yes. Well, you say you're not looking at your phone, but you are for those cool TikTok replays as you make sure it's the exact right shot of your oh, roller skating. I pulled up a tutorial for sure. And there's okay. like a lot of great, like quick hit ones um, of just literally me just trying to do any moment bubbles, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, it's been good. Leo, can you think of the last thing you did for the first time? All that comes to mind is beating a song on Expert Plus and Beat Saber this okay, week. That's, that's not really a new experience. That's it's more fine. a new achievement. Maybe this is insane. It is insane, but I was thinking about like, I think, you know, just made some random joke about jumping out of a cake. And then I was thinking about it like, I don't know. I think I'd like to hide in a cake and jump fully clothed, mind you. This isn't some pervert <laughs> town. But wouldn't it be fun to hide in a cake at some point in your life and jump out? Like, are we all just going to die without There's jumping no out of the There's no shame in having your own hot girl summer, Ben. Like, this is a safe mm-hmm. space for, like, how you want to honor mm-hmm. hot girl summer in your own way. So I should just buy a giant cake and hide inside of it, wait for my girlfriend to come home and just mm-hmm. surprise her and her alone? I mean, she did. Well, I, I hope she'd be surprised because I hope that wouldn't be a regular occurrence. Sounds expensive. Um, yeah, right. It could be fun. Obviously, like as a as a woman, that's inherently like very sexualized. So I, I probably wouldn't want to come out of a cake. But um, the <laughs> idea of doing a grandiose celebration is inherently appealing. Like I always okay. go pretty all out for birthdays. But um, yeah, if you, you, you if it's you not a real cake though, right? It's like paper. I, I like think it's like the outside it? is like a real cake. But yeah, if, for your next grandiose birthday, if you want to meet to jump out of that cake in a non-sexualized way. Just give me the call. I'm happy to jump over there. Hell yeah. This is you gotta sexual. add that part. <laughs> Don't think about sex right now. What I paid for. <laughs> Asterisk. Patreon tier. Make it yeah. happen. Okay, perfect. Uh, Taylor C writes in and says, I watched a bit of the MinMax stream of new Pokemon Snap and I had a great time. I was so happy to see Ben and best friend Ronnie hanging out in real life. You guys bring a chaotic, fun energy to each other. Yeah, it was a bit insane, but thank you for watching that. Um, it says, Cohorts, are you looking forward to hanging out with your close pals in real life? What's the first outing you look forward to having with your friends? For me, my closest two friends and I love trashy chain restaurants, so we intend to visit Red Lobster together once we all get vaxxed to the min-max, he says. <laughs> that sounds That's like cute. a perfect trip. Nice. Leo, do you have a, a goal in mind, the first big hangout? We, me and my online friends had an IRL meetup like right before quarantine happened. And so now we're going to do one right after quarantine happened. And both times it's very important that we go to Buca di Beppo. Hell yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an iconic part of our experience last time and it, it will be again. And what is that? Family style dining. It's just family style dining. You don't dining? know what Buca di Beppo is? I don't think no. so. You could have said any words there and I would have been like... <laughs> Is it spelled the way it sounds in that I can't yes, spell or pronounce absolutely. What is yes. magical about it, Leo? Uh, it's just like, you know, Olive Garden Italian <laughs> food, but in bigger amounts. And it's really yummy. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Oh, yeah. Now it came up. I didn't spell it right at all. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting, Leo. I support it. That's interesting, it. yeah. Ricky Winterborn writes in and he says, I always wondered why my parents never had even an inkling to try video games growing up. But now that I'm 31 and I refuse to download TikTok, I'm realizing that I'm hitting that grumpy point in my life where I resist the next popular thing. 
Am I weird or is this normal? Are y'all excited to start skipping big cultural fads? I think that's normal, but you're right. Like that is the sign, Ricky, that you're fading into obscurity is when you just refuse to get on the train. Like Leo and I, we haven't bought roller skates and filmed ourselves for TikTok yet. We are getting older at an exponential rate at this point. We still ride penny farthing bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> on Vine. <laughs> oh God, not the Vine stands. That's Rest in much. peace. Rest in peace, Vine. I don't know. Sarah and Janet, you two seem hip. Like, are you like militant about whatever new crap people God, are talking about? I don't know I'm what the kids are it. doing. They, they go, she now. And like, I don't know what that fucking, I don't know what that means. And then they With do the like, the my veins. Veins. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah, what am I doing? So I'm, it's I'm from on like the, a, I'm on the one basketball out. player who liked it, you know, which I learned on TikTok. Like they explained it because I, um, I didn't TikTok know I don't follow the NBA like that. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so you think you do know it though. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't, you know, yeah, Sarah, I'd love to hear like your perspective on this. Like I also, what is your age? If you don't mind me asking, I don't know. 26, like. 27. Yo. Okay. We're <laughs> the same age. Okay. So like, I don't have any, um, there's nothing I've ever seen and been like, I'm not going to do this specifically because <laughs> I feel like it's from the kids or from Gen Z. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes you end up being later to stuff because you're not like as in the know, like, tr- like younger people are always the first to do something. Like my brother told me that like, I- I've been on Twitter for 10 years. So I was one of the like earlier people on Twitter. And he's like, yeah, like when I first, when he, this is him, he's six years older than me. He's like, when I first got on Twitter, a lot of people in my circle were like, that's just for like younger kids. And it's true. I learned about it from like you, who was my like teenage sister at the time, but like it was great. And look, Twitter's still here. And I think TikTok is one already kind of become that and two further going to become it as it gains even more and more popularity. Like people always say like, Oh, I don't want to go on TikTok cause I don't dance and I'm not a 13 year old girl. Yep. But like my for you page is not, it's mostly not dancing. It's a lot of like, it's a lot of like roller skate stuff. It's a lot of recipe. Like I've, you know, if y'all want to miss out because you feel like you're too old, um, I guess you can do that. But like, I don't think there's anything wrong with jumping in on stuff. I don't feel weird about it. I think also because I've, I'm in a, household and obviously all y'all are also my peers who are in media where it's very much like getting in on certain apps is part of promoting your stuff and like if you want to be grumpy and not promote on one platform you can but you might be missing out so uh i don't necessarily get that feeling the closest thing i get is i feel like it's harder for me to keep up with music these days because i very much do default into what everyone says will happen which has already happened to me where i'm only listening to stuff they listened to in high school and college but, you know, I'm working on kind of branching out of that. But also, I don't know, I feel okay with that. I think it's I think it's all about enjoying life. And like, if you think TikTok will add value to your life and you're excited, sure. If you don't, that's fine. But I don't think it's necessarily good to say, I'm not doing X thing because I am like too old. Yes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that's a good philosophy. Yeah. I don't know. I personally feel so burdened. I feel the weight of the yoke on my neck to figure out what she, means whenever I go on TikTok and I all I want to do is to fade into obscurity all I want to do is live on a compound with people my age and we only we we quote Spongebob we quote Spongebob the office Parks and Rec and we talk about the baseball scene from Twilight yeah and that's Mm -hmm. all I want that's Mm -hmm. my comfort that's my comfort zone it's my comfort food no new culture allowed no new cultural relevance it's um it is weird to be at a point in society where I feel like uh, too much nostalgia going on. Like it's getting to the point of like, okay, cool it. I like my childhood a lot too, but like I don't need a Gargoyles reboot. <laughs> I mean, in my heart, I need a Gargoyles reboot, but like there's just gonna that- watch it though. Oh, of course. I mean, I would be there. Day well, one. then that's like, you feel like that? Like maybe you are part of the problem, of right? Course. Like, 
um, yeah, I, I call it nostalgia, basically. Mm, I get it. I get it. Um, but I, it's a bad sign when I'm annoyed by the nostalgic comebacks that are exactly up my alley because I know now the rest of my life is going to be nostalgic revivals for stuff that I have no frame of reference for. When it's like, Wizards of Waverly Place is coming back! And, uh, uh, I'm just going to be more and more detached, and then I'm going to just probably go hang out on that commune. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you're invited. Plan. We talk about how the new Lizzie McGuire remake got absolutely destroyed, and now we don't get it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like she wanted to make it too mature, and they wanted to Disneyfy it. Yeah, there was just some like disagreement with how it should work out, and then it didn't happen. And maybe that's for the best. Yeah, maybe I think it's, maybe was. we'll just do the hey now, hey now, and that's we. This is what dreams are made, and that's what sometimes we the dreams are already made. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's time to walk away. <laughs> that was it. That was the peak. Yeah. Lizzie McGuire downhill from there. Definitely. Jake Zielsdorf writes in. And he says, hey, since everyone likes to talk about value per dollar nowadays, uh, which game is more worth its price? Returnal or Pokemon Snap? This is one of those always very depends, tricky questions. Always depends on the player. I mean, I'm a big... Uh, I, I did thumbs up this question because I do like the discussion, but I'm also a big proponent of trying never to really equate price in a way that, that that's that deep. And I think it cuts both ways. If a game is good, it's good. If a game isn't that good, it's not good. And I don't think... I think sometimes we are, especially with the AAA space, are tempted to say like, oh, well, like, I feel like Pokemon Snap should have been $40. And it would have been cool if it was 40 in the sense that it's cheaper because who doesn't want cheaper games? Yeah. But like what we're really saying there is that something in it is kind of lacking. And I think it's OK to admit that, you know, like I, I don't think we need to. Sometimes we try to like use price to avoid really discussing the quality of the game, which is like it's kind of a red herring for like talking about the quality like. You know, and uh, you'll see in the opposite, too, where it's like, oh, it's crazy that it's only like this $10 or only $30 for Hades. One of the best, you know, it's like really Hades is dope. Hades was dope at $30. It would be dope at 70. It would be dope at 10. Like it's a dope game. And that's why we don't need to talk about the price of Hades. I feel like when you feel the need to talk about price, it speaks to how you feel the quality of the game is. And also your maybe reluctance to check it out. Um, I'm not above price either. Like I'm not saying that I'm like, oh, I'm just here for the art. I'll buy it, pay anything. I wish this stuff that I'm hesitant about all the time because yes, I just don't feel like paying full price for something that I might not enjoy. And I think that's totally okay too. We all have different budgets, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like get Returnal because there's more bang for your buck. Um, I think you should get Returnal over Pokemon Snap because I think Returnal is a better game. Um, I don't know. Maybe $70 is nothing to you. Maybe it is everything to you. So I'm not going to make impose that and make a call. Yeah, I can tell you what I think, and then you know your own taste and can kind of parse it out from there. Like, I don't know your budget. I don't know what your light bill is, what your gas bill is, all that stuff. Yeah, it's impossible. And, like, for, you know, reviewers to take price into account, I think, is a mistake, naturally. But, like, of course this stuff comes up. You know, like, my friends were asking me about Returnal. I was like, yeah, it's cool. $70. Like, I don't, like, it's probably going to be on PS Plus within a year. Like, 70 bucks is a lot of money. The jump does make, I think, the conversation come up again. Because, like... Someone was asking me about that, too. They were like, oh, well, now that's 70, you think, like, there'll be more reluctance. I think we definitely will be having a, what, 70, though, conversation until 70 feels normal, which I yeah. think will take one to two years. Which yeah. is, that's just how prices are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking about Returnal more. Um, it's like, house marks games have always been so good, um, and not enough people have bought them. And I worry about Returnal now, if the conclusion is going to be like, well, enough people didn't buy it. But really, what was turning a lot of people 
away was that this is one of the first big $70 games for the generation. And so it's that $70 price tag combined with the genre is now going to be maybe another ding to hurt Housemark, which sucks when they turned out such a great game. It's like the most popular niche thing I've seen in a long time where everyone's talking about it, but it's such like a niche thing from it's 70 it is like a rogue lighter like one of those two sure it's sci-fi so like nothing makes sense at first because it takes forever to learn the lore like but everyone's really enjoying it and and hopefully that transcends i think too like the reason price conversations become increasingly antiquated is in the era of game pass what is price dragon quest builder 2 is free for me right now because i have game pass like it doesn't matter if it was a lot of bang for my buck because I, i paid the 15 dollars already so now the con- like it ends up being like a not as useful conversation in an era where there are so many services where things get discounted. Like if I give a game a seven and it goes on sale, is it now an eight? Like right. no. Yeah. So then we, you know, I think kind of reframing that is helpful because usually when they when someone asks that, they're asking a different kind of question than is it worth twenty dollars or whatever. Yeah, uh, but to get to the core of Jake's question, which is more worth its price, the answer is Pokemon Stamp. Uh, Grizzled Gaming writes and says, "Hey friends, <laughs> with two ends, uh, we've talked games about. Uh, oh, we've talked games, but how about getting better? Do any of you consider yourself to generally be an anxious person? And if so, what are some ways you found to help control anxiety when it creeps up?" Let y'all tell me how to fix my anxiety because I've been waiting for yeah, the answer for a minute. You tell me. <laughs> oh crap! I was like, Grizzled Gaming to tell us. <laughs> I come from a long line of anxious German women. It is our pride. Mm. Um, it is it is the legacy that lives on in this family. Um, and generally, what I do is is video games, which you know might be a little unhealthy, but it does help to take your mind off the angst, uh, the anxiety. And in college, when I got really overwhelmed, I did this thing where I would go under a blanket and curl up in a ball and pretend I was a rock. In college? And that also ver- in college, like during finals week, there was a moment my senior year where I got into this habit of like getting under a blanket whenever I felt overwhelmed, curling up into a ball and pretending I was a ro- like a rock in a stream. And I was like, rocks don't have to do papers. I'm a rock. I don't have like five final papers, do you? I'm a, I'm a motherfucking rock. Like, not my problem. <laughs> All I think about is the stream. Yeah, it's used the stream. The stream was the blanket. It's beautiful, relaxing. And now you do stream. So it's like now it I all stream comes on Twitch. together. You are the rock on Twitch.tv. Um, I kind of wow. like harnessed my anxiety like the Hulk. Like whenever something comes up that I get kind of nervous about or like maybe it's outside my comfort zone. I just think about how I'm always anxious and like what's one more log on the fire of my anxieties. Mm. So it's kind of it's I've kind of harnessed it to be a superpower in a way. That's um, beautifully horrifying. But if you are struggling about. with anxiety, please go see a therapist and yeah. probably get drugs. Yes, <laughs> definitely, for sure. Um, yeah, I found um, with Better Quest, I think like the first month of a Better Quest show, a uh, new episode coming up on Thursday, by the way, so you can set a new goal for yourself in the month of May. Um, but I started meditating, and, and that has helped uh, a decent amount. Is I do like a 10-minute meditation before like every big recording here at MinMax and like especially interviews where I get pretty nervous ahead of time like getting everything fully set up all the tech all the lights on notes up windows resized everything ready to go and then I go and meditate until right before the interview starts uh I feel like that really helps me focus down a little bit and I think we've talked about it before but for me a big thing with my anxiety was realizing like oh I can slow down when I get nervous I talk faster but when I'm already talking 
two times as fast as everybody else, I can basically set myself into bullet time <laughs> and just slow down and take my time. And that just feels so comforting to know that, oh, if I'm just buying groceries at the grocery store, I can go at half speed and no one's going to call me out as a weirdo and I can just be that much more in control of the situation. <laughs> like, you're still... We need to do an episode, Ben, where you and I talk as fast as we can while still understanding each other. Yeah. Like a speed run podcast and see how much content we can get because I also am a fast talker. It's like Superman um, versus the Flash racing each other at the end of yeah, Justice League. Yeah, it, it would be quite the sight to see. Uh, but Sarah, I love that you brought up just go to therapy if this is like an actual question because yeah. obviously we're yeah. not, yeah. We're not um, you know licensed in any way like we're just content creators yeah. who are anxious but yeah, yeah i am I, not I, a well-adjusted adult please do not look to me for help and or advice um to be try to keep it brief uh, i've definitely struggled with anxiety a lot um i think my pinnacle also was college um you know and i've gone to therapy before as well which i found very valuable um even without medication if you choose not to do that because i didn't have anything like that um and I think in my day to day, I find like, you know, having loved ones in my life to talk to uh, who, I, who I know directly, you know, uh, weighted blanket goes a long way. Just like sleeping better, resting better. I think too, just like always backing up and taking care of yourself. Uh, one advice, piece of advice I got from uh, Jared Petty before I started like my Patreon venture and this year and everything. He's like, you're really going to want to like dive into everything. And I know you're like, there's a million things to do and I'm still not at all done with building my content, but He's like, before you plan out any of that, I want you to sit down and plan out what does taking care of yourself and your household look like? Because if you don't plan it now, you will not be able to fit it into your hectic schedule. So you have to put the stuff that you feel like is the most important, like your content, that has to be around all this other stuff. So I think things like that are important. Um, you know, keeping things in check. There's so many different strategies out there uh, to, to cope and deal with it. So I think it's important to have like a a big toolbox of things. And maybe one of those tools is therapy. Maybe one of them is your family. Maybe one is exercise. Like, again, not a professional. This is just from my personal experience with it. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. kind of a quick run through of it. And Leo, you just... Got this, oh, go I got this dog, um, but the dog Animal also has so good, anxiety. Yeah. So now we just have matching anxiety. <laughs> Which is the perfect segue uh, to Connor McCabe's <laughs> question. He says, hey, Ben, Janet, Leo, and Sarah, have you ever discussed the pets of MinMax? I gotta know about the lovable furballs, scaled buds, and feathered cuties in your lives. Of course, mine is is well established on mm -hmm. this channel. Doctor, he's almost always on my lap. Not anymore. We're struggling because we've got this this younger one uh, who's eating all the food all the time, and so we're trying to figure out how to like feed them separately or monitor them when they're eating. But Doctor and Hank, the two loves of my life, they're cats, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, they, yeah, I was going to ask. I was really trying to guess, and I was waiting for, like, a hint of uh -huh. what it was. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't have a pet, although I was talking but... about how much I love lizards um, and, like, grew up with a lot of lizards and stuff, and somebody in the Discord the other day was like, I will buy you a lizard. Just tell me the address, and I'll ship a lizard. They're like, look, I like lizards. Is that a but... threat? <laughs> yeah, I will ship so many freaking lizards to your house, but I turned it down politely, but I would love to have a lizard again in the future. But, yeah, I grew up with um, cats and dogs and all that stuff. I have a... I have a cat currently. I'm trying to see if I can get it to come in here. Not by like calling it because it's not that advanced. I thought you were Bruce. texting it. I thought uh, you picked ooh. up your phone and you were like texting okay, it. Okay, the cat is here. Mm -hmm. um, so for con I'm having my boyfriend Isaiah walk her over. You can see Bruce in all her glory. She a chonky girl. Uh -huh. um, this is this is oh, Bruce. Oh, for the is, audio is, is, Russian, is that a Russian me, blue? Uh, filter off. Um, I don't know what kind of cat she is because she was adopted um but yeah her name's bruce because when my boyfriend got her 
they were like, this is a boy cat. So he's like, Bruce for Batman. And then they're like, actually, he's like, actually, this is a girl. And we just like left. Well, he just left it. Uh, so when we moved in together, I like have this cat because the cat was already living with Isaiah. And this is my first time having a pet. And I have loved having a pet. I think it's like, I just can't recommend it enough. I was shocked by how much value it added. Like, I always kind of thought that the people who were like, oh my God, I love my pet so much. Like always tweeting about it. I'm like, it's kind of, that's kind of extra. Like it, it <laughs> seems kind of like I don't relate to it. But then when I actually had an animal in my life, I'm like, oh no, I totally get what everyone means and how enriching it is. So if you've never had a pet, uh, someone shouts at Jan's step cat. Yes, my step cat. <laughs> if you've never had a pet, I recommend it. Um, and Bruce is super chill, probably in large part because Isaiah trained her to not destroy our entire apartment before I got there. So it was very convenient. Was Isaiah in. like standing just off camera with the cat the entire podcast yeah. waiting for this? Yep. Okay. That's pretty uh, cool. No, he was, uh, he was like out doing his actual job of uh, being a web developer, but I texted him and I'm like, can you bring the cat in? There we and go. And then I called him, but like with the intention of just getting his like iPhone attention. And then he walked it in. I feel like Isaiah's we'll used to weird content requests at this point in my career that he can just... He's like, all right, I'm holding this cat for like looking at a screen of people I've never met before. <laughs> like, this is just this is just Wednesday. Yeah. And Sarah, your dog is just in every shot here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is what my stream requested. They really I think they just show up for my dog. My dog's name is Poggers, uh, as in Poggers, my doggers. Um, oh, I see. he is a Chihuahua Jack Russell Terrier mix. So all the anxiety with all the athleticism of a small dog. He's uh, he's an LA boy. He's a California boy, uh, very much so. Um, his hobbies are <laughs> sitting on me, being with me, and eating things he's not supposed to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. So if you watch us on you. Twitch, guaranteed lots of Poggers coverage. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, Sarah, what do you like for question of the week? What do you like? Oh, what I like. Um. There's pets, there's anxiety, first thing you did for the last time, remastered stuff, giant bomb stuff. I liked the one about, the one where I got to talk about my compound where we talk, we only quote Spongebob. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That, one, that one, the one about, is it keeping up with the Joneses, but the Joneses okay. are teenagers. Yeah. Does everybody else like that one? Yeah. Yeah. There okay. we go. That's Ricky Winterborn. Congratulations. You win the Ape Out vinyl from I Am 8-Bit. Congratulations. And thanks to everybody else who submitted a question over at patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. Now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. Leo, will you share your tidbit, sir? Get a load of this. This okay. is a classic one for a special occasion. It's just a Twitter thread from at Yelix. Please reply with your favorite classic giant bomb clips, quotes, etc. I want a thread people can revisit down the line. And it is a thread full of everybody sharing their favorites. And there's a couple threads of these going around, but a lot of them were like, you know, the most popular giant bomb clips on YouTube. But there are some deeper cuts in here that I enjoyed, had never seen before. Yeah. Uh, is there anything stand out? <laughs> Let me see. All here. of it. Yeah. All of it. All, All of, of it. it's great. So many memories watched, running through his head right I, now. I am not familiar with uh, Giant Bomb. I was never really familiar with it, but that thread really caught me up on why I should be sad that it's the people are leaving. I was like, damn, feels like I missed out on something good. Right. Yeah. Let's say Giant Bomb Streamception is the one I'll call out. Okay, great. There's links below uh, for all these things. Yeah. I mean, I think I've talked about it in a couple of our interviews with former Giant Bomb folks, which, by the way, thank you for the avalanche of 
people tweeting at me saying, oh my God, now you can interview all these people leaving Giant Bomb because we kind of <laughs> have a trend rolling. Uh, no plans for that yet. I feel like you need to kind of let people adjust a little bit and maybe simmer down a little bit before maybe we talk to them. But um, but yeah, one of my favorite Giant Bomb moments is to get back to that original question from a while ago. It was like, I, the Game of the Year stuff is definitely up there. E3 and Game of the Year, probably the two big temples of my mind for Giant Bomb coverage. But specifically, it's Vinny, freaking Vinny, on the Game of the Year discussions, like for maybe the last two years, when he's been talking about his favorite moments in games, he'll break down and start crying about these emotional moments in the games. Breakdowns maybe a much, but he'll start crying. And my favorite thing specifically is that he does not apologize for it, which everybody else would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oof, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. He just fully owns it, and there's never even a hint of an apology. It is the coolest crying on a podcast move I've ever heard in my life. Much better than every time we cry on podcasts. It's nothing but, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive can me, I, internet. Can I share my favorite Vinny memory I just remembered? Yeah. It was years and years ago, before the Beast cast was a thing, and Vinny uh, taking over the podcast was a special thing, you know, like yeah. when they're out of town or whatever. And he... Patrick Klepek was telling this boring story about Portillo's, you know, not boring, but a very nothing story. And Vinny just edited it like this super produced NPR piece with like music swelling, <laughs> like breaks between the segments and stuff. And then he, and then it just ended super abruptly because it was such a nothing story. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. Uh, sorry we went back down Giant Bomb route, but it's very sweet that like Brad Shoemaker had a tweet talking about, you know, him announcing he was leaving and he had a follow-up tweet just being like, by the way, I just want to point out that, you know, Vinny is an absolute champion. He's everybody. He is exactly as good as he seems like he is, and we couldn't do this without him. And it's just a very nice detour from him just to, to celebrate Vinny a little bit more. So it's very sweet to see. Um, anyways, hey, everybody, get a load of this. Um, there's an article from The New Yorker all about The Simpsons writer uh, John Swartzwelder, who is a legendary Simpsons writer from the first... Oh, 12 seasons, maybe something like that. I forget exactly when he left, maybe 2003, something like that. Um, but he is a very cryptic guy. No one really knows what he looks like. There's a lot of rumors that he doesn't even exist, that he's just like an amalgamation of different writers. But New Yorker has an interview with him, and uh, there's some interesting tidbits in there. Like, he prefers to write while at a diner, and so he eventually bought a booth from a diner and installed it in his house so he could write Simpson scripts at a diner, like on the big cushy seat. That's so cool. And then, That's the dream. I know. And then he said he actually went and bought another one. So he had two diner seats on different parts of his house, which is It's like weird. living in an Animal Crossing house. Basically. Exactly. <laughs> um, but he had this good bit of advice here. He says, since writing is very hard and rewriting is comparatively easy and rather fun, I always write my scripts all the way through as fast as I can, the first day, if possible, putting in crap jokes and pattern dialogue. Homer, I don't want you to do that. Then I won't do it. Then the next day, when I get up, the script's been written. It's lousy, but it's a script. The hard part is done. It's like a crappy little elf has snuck into my office and badly done all my work for me. Then left with a tip of his crappy hat. All I have to do from that point on is fix it. So I've taken a very hard job writing and turned it into a very easy one rewriting overnight. And I advise all writers to do their scripts and other writing this way, which is a very good way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the advice I got in college. They were like, write it, put it down, put anything down. And then fix it later. Yeah, especially creatively. Just like whatever, get some mm -hmm. form of a scene down. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, did you have one? Yeah, get a load of this. Um, it was really bothering me that the medals in Pokemon Snap were called sweet medals. And then I noticed a Japanese user who was getting a lot of sweet exclamation point medals said, thank you for the apple medals. 
And I was like, the Apple medals? So I went down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out the names uh, in Japanese. The sweet medals are just called Ningo Medaru, which is just Apple medal. Uh, and fluff fruit in Japanese is called Furaringo, Furaringo, which is just a playoff of fuwa, fuwa, Fuwari, or Fuwa, which is soft, and Ningo, which is apple. So it's just called soft apple in Japanese, but we got fluff fruit, and then the medals are apple medals, and we got sweet medals. And that's subpar for you. I don't, I talked about this a little bit on my stream, but I was like reading it and I was like, I feel like they put the localization B team on this. I don't want to shade it. Ooh, and I really apologize. I mean, it's but that not, was my thought. It's not Treehouse, right? I no. would imagine that it was the Pokemon company, which I don't want to critique them too much, but some of the writing in the Pokemon RPGs is pretty weak. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. But the, the weird thing of them just not calling them apples, it's so yeah. bizarre. And they're called apples in Japanese. Right. So That's... I'm confused. Good. Good. Uh, Janet, you got one? Yeah, get a load of this. Uh, ESPN and Marvel debuted their first ever Marvel-inspired NBA special edition of, like, one of the games. So essentially, like... They had the game running on, I think it was just on ESPN, and it was like a Marvel collab. So they brought in someone who's like, does a Marvel podcast. I forgot the name of the woman who like came in to help like also commentate. And the, the trippy thing is, and y'all should look this up if you didn't like catch it live. Um, again, with the sports stuff, because my brother is into sports. So I just kind of secondhand get all the sports info. But I'm like, wait, this is actually interesting to me. They add like special effects to stuff. So literally like one person like, like, either did a dunk or just made a basket and it said like Hulk smash on the all over <laughs> the rim. It was the most bizarre thing ever. Um, <laughs> and they even added in like additional types of scoring. Uh, they still had the game normal. Like it was yeah. a regular game, but they had like an additional scoring that was like, who's the hero of the match. I forgot like who got it from this match or whatever, but it was based on like, you got all these different points for doing different things. So it was very much like, a gamified Marvel stickered version I of an NBA idea. game. Um, and it was just wild to see. And this is not the first like time we've seen anything like trippy like this in, in the sports space, but I think it was the first of this specific type of collab. So it was like, it was really interesting to just see it in action. And it was kind of cool, but also really ridiculous. I feel like it's worth just taking a glance at. Um, I'm not someone that follows uh, the NBA at all, but I just had to see how weird all of that looked. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. That's so bizarre. Uh, from the community in the Discord, I mean, Leafeon submitted, oh boy, this is a whole can of worms, but uh, it was basically uh, the breakdown from the Epic Game Store for how much Epic paid to lock down these games in the Epic Game Store as a exclusive. And this is all coming out because of the Epic versus apple court case where it seems like all the court filings have just been <laughs> uploaded to some google drive or something and now all the industry secrets like hey walmart's working on a streaming platform or here's the emails with sony about them refusing crossplay and their argument about how sony doesn't benefit from it or hey here's the fact that borderlands 3 for that exclusivity cost 146 million dollars but they ended up making 110 million back um, so many good stories are floating out there, but this breakdown of all these games and how much they cost is really fascinating. There's a, a link below, but just, okay, Subnautica, to make that an exclusive, that was 1.4 million. Uh, last day of June, the indie game, 75,000. Enter the Gungeon was 700,000. If you want just a good peek behind the curtain, definitely look into this Epic versus Apple stuff because there's a lot of good industry secrets that maybe shouldn't be secrets that are just now blown out the door and 
I don't know. The judge couldn't keep it secret. So please enjoy. Cool. It's pretty cool. Um, plugs. What's coming up? Uh, we have Crossfade, our standalone music podcast. You can subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app. Uh, this Friday's episode is with Todd Hansen, who's a writer for The Onion. Uh, he's a voice on Squidbillies, also a writer for that. He was on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, so it should be interesting. They're talking about Beach Boys, and I forget the other band. Um, obviously, Sarah, do you have something to plug? Am I supposed to be plugging my stream on Tuesday with Min Max or the stream tomorrow? Or my personal streams. Just follow your heart. You can't go wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitch at Sarapods. You can find me on Twitter at Sarapods. You can also find me Tuesday nights on the MinMax channel. Um, having a, having a, a good time. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to be playing Resident Evil, so it might be a little stressful. Yeah, she'll be screaming a lot, guaranteed. The dog's going to be scared. It's all going to be there. But yeah, that's twitch.tv slash show. And then, yeah, on Thursday, we'll be streaming some some co-op games as well. So jump in there and say hi. We'd appreciate the follow on Twitch. Um, also, get ready for the deepest dive on Mass Effect 1. That's going to be coming up. First episode will be airing on the 19th. And we're looking for your feedback on the first section on the 17th. Also, yeah, new episode of Better Quest and is out this week. And then also uh, Trivia Tower, our community video game trivia show the new episode's going to be on monday may 17th and greg miller from kind of funny is going to be the co-host for that one so if you support us at any tier on patreon you can jump in and put your knowledge of video games to the test by competing in this multi-round video game trivia contest and the last person winning wins an astro a40 headset but then we have a bunch of game codes to give away as well so we appreciate the support and two bucks you can jump in there and compete video game trivia and impress Senpai Greg Miller? Nothing better than that. Uh, so we'd appreciate the support. Um, cool. Anything else we didn't hit? Janet, how are you feeling? Good, as always, pretty much. That was kind of a lie, but I feel good. <laughs> but yeah, you know, still doing the same stuff everywhere on the internet, at Game Honestus everywhere, Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, another awesome episode. There we go. Thanks so much, everybody. And thanks to the following Patreon supporters for their generous support of MinMax at the $50 tier. You can get your name here by supporting us on Patreon at the $50 tier. But I'm talking about Fixture Gaming. Call me, call me by your game podcast. I am 8-Bit, Rainmaker.gg, Mirko Rico Torreno, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Elm Brian, Andrew Eukerwitz, Jawar Hello, Real AFTV, Mark Seliga, Ludwig Roque, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Valla, Yaro, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Pretham Yarlagata, Clayton Meyer, Starkiller, Steve Steve Bamdad, Jesse Vitelli, and Slick Nick. Thank you so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.